boogeyman is coming. Leave me alone. He doesn't believe us. Don't you know what happens on Halloween? Yeah, we get candy. <laughs> boogeyman, who the boogeyman? Boogeyman, 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 boogeyman. And welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast where we revisit our Halloween costumes from the 80s and 90s, because that's how we remember what was popular back then. <laughs> I'm Chris, your podcast host, most likely to revisit his blood-soaked past again and again, while constantly pretending that those last few times he revisited his blood-soaked past never happened. <laughs> I am Seth Pearson, the host most likely to see men behind bushes. I'm guest host Chelsea Steiner, and I am the guest host most likely to spill butter all over myself and have to take off all my clothes for a simple babysitting job. (laughs) And I'm guest host Dan Litzinger, the host most likely to get your ass away from there. (laughs) Some listeners may be wondering right now, where's Becky? (laughs) It's fine. She's just out back checking on a strange noise that we heard, and she'll probably be right back any minute. Yeah, I'm sure she's just doing the laundry. Yeah. Also, have any of you guys seen my dog? Mm, I heard some whimpering and then a sharp cry a bit ago, so he's probably just, you know, chewing on a bone or something. Yeah, sounds plausible. Yeah. Also, where are the children? (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were watching them. Guys, you had one job. I turned the TV on. And then had sex for six hours. and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is babysitting. This is how you babysit. In the 70s, yes. This is movie marathon. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, Becky is on maternity leave. Uh, she's dealing with her own little scream queen right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she maternityed and then she left. <laughs> <laughs> so we have recast the role of Becky with Chelsea and added Dan for good measure. Hello. And so just pretend that this is all normal. <laughs> I'm very excited to be this podcast, Sarah Chalk. <laughs> yes, so, you know. definitely. This is how we refer to you quite regularly. <laughs> you may remember Chelsea from our episode on Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. If you don't remember, please go back and check because she was there and it was great. Yeah, it's a, a gem. <laughs> oh, that's where I know you from. <laughs> oh, yeah. Got it. <laughs> That was probably a very different episode than this one will be, although I did find one thing in common, which is shoes filling up with blood, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's really it. I bet there's more connective tissue. We'll have to think of that yeah. throughout yeah. the episode. I'm sure that we could. <laughs> so this is our Halloween episode in every sense of the word because we're taking a look back at the 1978 horror classic, Halloween, which I would say is the ultimate slasher film in pretty much every way. This month, a sequel starring Jamie Lee Curtis will be released. It's directed by David Gordon Green, and it'll be the film's 40th anniversary. And it's also October and actual Halloween time, so there's all kinds of Halloween going on. It's actually premiering today at Toronto International Film Festival. This is the day that the new Halloween movie is being shown for the first time publicly. Ooh, we should stop and then read all the reviews. and then <laughs> We should fly to Toronto. <laughs> it's a midnight movie, so we might make it. Fire up the jet, boys. <laughs> Ooh, who's looking after the jet? <laughs> oh, no. no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> So we have previously talked about the slasher genre on the podcast before, mainly in the episode on Scream, which is episode number seven, if you care to go back and and refresh yourself. Um, And that movie, of course, famously references Halloween and other horror movies very directly. And on that episode, we talked about the things that scared us when we were kids, notably pop culture. For me, it was Michael Jackson's thriller video. Seth, I believe it was an HBO promo for you. Yep. <laughs> Terrified by a commercial. <laughs> what was it a promo for? It was Stories? literally just the the interstitial <laughs> promo for the channel HBO wow. that would air on HBO. <laughs> nice. Is H2O as scary as HBO? <laughs> no. Numbers are always less scary than letters. Okay. <laughs> wow. That home box office is pretty pretty terrifying. <laughs> Instead of talking about the pop culture that scared us today, I actually wanted to talk about real fear, kind of inspired by the quote from the movie, everyone's entitled to one good scare. What was the biggest moment of terror that you had when you were growing up? Like, actual terror. Well... In true Seth fashion, mine is directly from a pop culture thing. The moment you asked this question, I had my immediate answer, which was, there's an episode of the television series Unsolved Mysteries about aliens and aliens coming to Earth. And as a kid, I loved, like, sci-fi and, like, X-Files and loved being scared. And in this episode of Unsolved Mysteries, there was a dramatized segment where they took an alien body like from a crash landing of a flying saucer out of this military hangar. And I don't know why. I don't know what else I was watching or like if I was like dehydrated or stressed out or something. Uh, But it terrified me so much that I had my mom drive me to my grandmother's house to sleep for the night. Interesting. That's so cute. This was last year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I was, I think I was nine. Like so you nine were or ten, somehow more comforted by your grandma's house than your own house. Yes, and for whatever reason, it was like the the room in my house where the piano was was the parlor, and I would like play piano in there all the time. And obviously, it was my house, so I was very used to it. But for whatever reason, my like fear was very centralized to that location. So it was like very like specifically attached to the idea of I can't sleep here tonight. Um, and it didn't happen any time after that. It hadn't happened any time before that. And like, I've had nightmares, sure. And I've had, I've been like spooked after like scary movies or whatever, but not like that. 
Unsolved Mysteries was a scary show. I wouldn't watch it because I don't like Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> I like my mysteries solved, Dan. Yes, I like solved mysteries. <laughs> mysteries tied in a bow, please. <laughs> All wrapped up, please. Like, just that word unsolved is like, nope, I don't even have to get to the mysteries part. I'm just like, no, it's solved now. I, yeah, I do remember part of it. being scared of an Unsolved Mysteries episode. There was one where it was like the employees of a toy store or just a department store had a ghost that would do things, like stack oh, no. up the merchandise or like a, a skateboard with a bunch of dolls on it would go by while they're doing the show. <laughs> Scared the crap out of me. I was, because I always believe that Wait, ghosts... Wait, but those dolls sound cool. real. <laughs> it sounds like a Trolls movie or something. Yeah. yeah, just skateboarding ghosts. They don't care about nothing, man. <laughs> Toss the cigarette. Just the theme song of Unsolved Mysteries still triggers me. Like, I get like a bit of an adrenaline rush. How does it go? No, replace audio with actual theme song. No, do not replace audio. Yeah, that was it. I feel like that's only like a few steps away from the Halloween theme. It totally is. Yeah. Higher pitch. Now, what would it sound like if the Halloween theme had a conversation with the Unsolved Mysteries theme? <laughs> it would become the Seinfeld theme. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would like to see a recut version of Halloween where it just replaces all of John Carpenter's music with the same oh, film music. music. <laughs> I would watch that over and over again. We're done being scared. All right. I, I remember what really scared me was, uh, you know, Seth and I are both from New Orleans. And I grew up in one of those, you know, old kind of antebellum New Orleans houses. And it had this third floor that no one really used. And there was a set of, like, old country marionettes that my grandparents had bought us. <laughs> which that. were Which were legitimately, like, the most terrifying, like, <laughs> horrific child's toy ever. And I would be scared to even be in the same room as the marionettes. Like, even just the marionette stage without the puppets was upsetting to me. So there was a lot of fear of the third floor and the marionettes that resided there. Oh, yeah. I hate tiny stages. Seriously, I don't care if fleas are performing or squirrels or trained rats. I don't care. Like, Yeah, I only perform on large stages as well. Exactly! (laughs) No, anything with marionettes is automatically scary. I feel like... Yeah. (laughs) do, Do people really make marionettes thinking like, oh, this is cute and charming, or... Are they always like, this is just going to scare the shit out of people? They originally were called scary nets. <laughs> <laughs> what made them change, Dan? <laughs> is there a lawsuit or something? No, it just, I was, it's a trademark name, someone named Mary. Mary yeah. Annette? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know her. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know where that that idea of marionettes came from much like clowns it's like it's never been clear to me if they were originally intended for fun purposes or intended to scare people and then just adopted as some symbol of fun i think it's part of that old school like stuff for children is naturally terrifying like the old like grimm's fairy tales or hans christian anderson fairy tales that are like, horrifically violent and have tragic endings i feel like clowns and marionettes and all of that are like scare your children into submission kind of child rearing tools Mm-hmm. That's my theory. It's about rearing. I think that's <laughs> spot on. Submissive rearing. <laughs> Her words, not mine. <laughs> and Dan, what was your scariest moment? Well, like I was saying, I always believed that ghosts were real. I'm not trying to to circumvent the pop culture question because I think it just informed my fear in real life. Like I feel like I was born 
afraid of Jason Voorhees, came out of the womb scared of hockey masks. But uh, I definitely always thought that ghosts were real, and I must—I feel like that must have come from like scary stories to tell in the dark or Hell yes. other books like that too. I would seek it out when I was scared. I was genuinely scared, but afterwards I'd be like, "Oh, that was a fun feeling," and I'm going to chase that by reading the next story or whatever. Like it's fun. And then I also had two older brothers, so they showed me things too soon. <laughs> so like they, I remember um, my elder brother Andy and his friend Nick showed me. Return of the Living Dead, which is a comedy, but they told me it was 100% real, that it was a real government experiment that brought the dead back to life, and this movie was made from a real story, and it scared me so much. And also, I saw Poltergeist, or at least part of Poltergeist. (laughs) I don't know if I saw the whole thing, but when I was little, and specifically the scene where the paranormal investigators in the house, and like a raw steak crawls across the table... (laughs) Explodes in maggots, mm-hmm, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Ugh, I gotta take a break." And go splash some water on my face. So he's in the bathroom, and his face, like, he gets a little cut, and he just tears into it a little bit, and then eventually he's just tearing off his entire face, and he's this screaming skeleton for like a second in his imagination. And that was terrifying to me. If you look at that now, the effects don't hold up. You can see the puppet and everything. Yeah, but remember that I 100% believe ghosts are real. Like. I do also remember in Poltergeist the chair sliding across the floor. That mm-hmm. thing scared me. Mm-hmm. So I would look around the house at night and stuff and wait for ghostly things to happen or believe that that's what was happening. Yeah, I I share so much of that. Like I, Poltergeist I saw really young, not quite as young as you did, but a lot of those moments were the things that scared me. And yeah, the like the effects of that face tearing scene don't quite mm-hmm. hold up. No, um, but the performance is like so committed yeah. that like I think it still works. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to me how both that moment that's so gory and also that moment that's like a chair sliding across the floor. Yeah, like, and they're like having scary. a fun game of it too. Mm-hmm. And then the ending when the caskets are popping up out of the ground and this it's like real dead bodies are falling mm-hmm. out of their coffins do you remember this because they yes. moved the headstones and not the graves and uh, so it's a rainstorm and so it's just exploding caskets of dead bodies in the rain <laughs> horrifying to me like the scariest thing is that she's like swimming in a pool it's like a dugout pool but yeah. it's raining and so yeah. it's very muddy mm-hmm. and just being muddy yeah, it yeah. kind of creeps <laughs> yeah, me out I hated the, the that muddiness. <laughs> I mean, that's, that may not be the primary concern in that moment, uh, necessarily. Like that's, you're just looking at it like, that's not going to come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to wash that out. Uh, I've been dry cleaning. So my most terrifying uh, memory from childhood is a little bit of a weird one, because, I don't know, I haven't heard other stories quite like this. When I was in first grade, we were relocated to another school, because I guess they were remodeling ours or something. So for that year, we were at a different building. And one day at recess, a girl named Valerie claimed that she saw a bloody gun in the forest. (laughs) (laughs) she like probably just told like one person this i don't even know like how she started this rumor if it got carried away from there but by the time it got to like me and everyone else like that was the rumor is that there was a bloody gun in the forest and it just kept escalating from there and it was like this total like game of telephone but with like six-year-olds where we were all convinced that this was a true thing that was really out there and (laughs) (laughs) That, you know, like, all kinds of, like, imaginative, like, embellishments were added, you know, thinking that (laughs) Valerie's a witch. (laughs) There is, you know, like, a corpse back there, like, all of, or someone is back there. And, like, it got so bad that our teacher actually had to, like, take us out there and, like, 
all the entire class go out there, like search the woods because no one could focus on school for that day. <laughs> Because everyone was so convinced that this wow. is a real thing. Oh my god, this is so amazing! Yeah. yeah, it's very strange. And I was like particularly terrified of this. And so even after like our teacher had taken us out and you know kind of reassured us like everything's fine, I was convinced that everything was not fine. And I also was convinced that I heard a ticking noise and that there was a bomb under the school. And it was just this like escalation <laughs> of fear. Like obviously that has nothing really to do with a bloody gun in the forest. But in my mind, like obviously like one thing led to another. It's and all course, part of the same it's plot. Crime. It's all crime. <laughs> and I remember as a six-year-old being like seriously like wondering like should I leave school because I believe that this campus is going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that as a six-year-old wandering off of school grounds is a no-no. And, like, I don't know what, like, when you're that age, you don't know what where you would go or what would happen. Like, that's also a scary proposition. See, I would have asked my teacher. I would say, Miss Teacher, can I leave because the school's about to blow up? Yeah, and I didn't. I went back no. to school. No. Okay. Um, it did not explode. There was no bloody gun <laughs> ever found. But Valerie... <laughs> Valerie was there always was, known that way. We found, we found <laughs> several clean school. guns. Yes. <laughs> Valerie will never live that shit down. No, that's, like I will instantly like think of that every time. I didn't even know her that well, but she was the bloody gun girl. <laughs> so that was a moment of like that was the one moment of like actual like real terror that I had that I really thought that this was something. You know, that was wow. that was real. And like collective terror. That's fascinating. Yeah, it was this big like first grade hysteria where like everybody bought into it. Yeah, and, like, like as a social phenomenon. Mm-hmm. That's really, really like, interesting. Like we probably all like could have gone on like some kind of angry march or something, like like let us out. Like we could have like rebelled and like run the streets wild or something. Yeah, like you could have taken over the town. <laughs> you could have had a kid gang. Not a Come on, Chris. Could have gone in. Halloween twelve coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, though, for, like, is there a local boogeyman for New Orleans? Like, what's the local story? Well, there's Axeman of New Orleans. I feel like there are, like, a million boogeymen. Yeah, there's, like, five. <laughs> it's like a yeah. boogeyman culture. Voodoo is, like, a boogeyman culture. It's scary in New Orleans when you mention someone who's not a boogeyman. They're like, here's this normal guy, and everyone's like, what? Yeah, it's like talking about sober people in New Orleans. You're like, oh, yeah. wait, mm, do you go here? Not sure they exist or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> New Orleans is like Costco for ghost stories. Like, we got them all. We got them in bulk. You can have a free sample. Yeah, the palettes of ghosts. Yeah, yeah. But I will say the other thing that really did scare me as a kid was going to haunted houses in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Because they were, I already hate haunted houses off the bat. But New Orleans really takes it up a notch. There was a haunted house that was run by uh, convicts. Uh, Sheriff Fody's haunted house. Oh my god, that's right. Which Seems in hindsight to be a bad idea, putting a bunch of convicts in charge of scaring children. Also in regular sight, also in foresight. Yeah. yeah. In most kinds of sight. All of the sight. Yeah. But it was a big, do you think they still do it? I don't know. I haven't been I haven't been up on the New Orleans haunted house culture in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel like that would be the kind of thing that would fall out of favor. I feel like sometime in the 2000s, someone was like, wait, wait, what the fuck are we doing now? And yeah. they were like, oh, we got to stop this. We should have stopped this yesterday. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> but like that haunted house, House of Shock was terrifying. I got chased right. by a man with a chainsaw into the street but at you, the haunted house. Your high school yearbook is still called The Absinthe, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no New Orleans 
not different than that. Yeah, yeah no, New Orleans really plays fast and loose with uh, <laughs> children's safety. Yeah, exactly. um, But the one, I think the word, Seth, did you ever go to Chinchuba? What that was, was that? It was the school for the deaf that put on a haunted house. Oh, so see, I didn't go to any of the haunted houses. I was like, oh, no, I say nay. I, see, I got peer pressured into going to all of them oh, because so I, the fold, I fold like a napkin. <laughs> um, uh, but the, what's terrible about Chinchuba is it really is in this haunted house and no one can hear you scream because everyone who works there is deaf. Oh. So there's a fear there that's very upsetting. And I got lost in their maze for like an hour. And that was just embarrassing at the end of it because I couldn't get out. <laughs> and then they had to come and get me. And people's parents were waiting. It was not a good time. Oh, my God. See, I'm, I made the right choices in hindsight, because again, I, I'm geographically not great. Uh, I'm, I can easily get lost in mazes. I can get lost in grocery stores. Yeah, I feel good that I didn't go to the haunted houses. So I think we've covered Halloween 13, 14, and 15. We've got a whole yeah. extra franchise. We're going to outpace the Land Before Time series here. <laughs> Excuse me, Lori. Oh, Mr. Brackett, I'm sorry, Mr. Brackett. Oh, I didn't mean to startle you. Oh, it's all right. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Yes, sir. Nice to you, sir. So that will bring us to John Carpenter and Halloween. John Carpenter was born in 1948 in New York. That makes him 70 years old now. He attended USC in the late 60s, where he made the short film Captain Voyeur, which also had some POV shots and was kind of a precursor to Halloween. But he dropped out to make films, which worked pretty well for him. That's pretty good choice. Pretty good choice. <laughs> pretty, 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 pretty good choice. His first film was Dark Star, a collaboration with Dan O'Bannon, who would go on to create Alien. He then made Assault on Precinct 13 and the TV movie Someone's Watching Me. If you haven't seen it, Assault on Precinct 13 is, in my opinion, a perfect movie. Wow. It I is, haven't seen it. It was made for like five bucks. Uh, and every dollar of that is on screen. Uh, but the writing is so good. Uh, it is really well made for like how cheaply it was done. It's such a good movie. Yeah. It was written as Precinct 99, but they could only afford 13. <laughs> <laughs> Discount Precinct. I haven't seen the first 12 Precincts, so I don't know if it's I would okay. understand it. It's okay. It. It, it deviates from the rest of the Precinct series. Okay. So Halloween was actually his fourth film, even though I think like people might think that it's his first film because it was such a cheap movie and has the legend of being like the little indie that could, but it was actually his fourth movie. Originally, the story was called The Babysitter Murders. The idea came from Erwin Yablins, who also came up with the notion of having it take place on Halloween. At the time, not only was there not another movie called Halloween, but no other movie had ever even had the word Halloween in the title, even wow. though that seems, really? yeah, like... A no-brainer for a horror movie? Well, and like, I, I, it would stand to reason that Halloween as a phenomenon is relatively more recent than we probably think of it as, but even still, that's very surprising in like 1978. Yeah, for sure. One precursor to Halloween was 1974's Black Christmas, which also had a holiday in the title, obviously. It was about a killer hiding in a sorority house who kind of picks off the sorority sisters one by one. And that also had a lot of POV shots. 
And so a lot of people credit that as kind of like the very, very first of this wave of slasher movies. Obviously, there was Psycho, which is kind of the granddaddy of them all. But in the 70s, there was that. There was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the same year. So horror was kind of coming into a thing. But then Halloween was the one that really cemented the slasher genre as we know it. The movie was co-written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Deborah Hill is from Haddonfield, New Jersey. So she is where Haddonfield, Illinois gets its name, even though that is not a real place. She was also a babysitter. The script was written in 10 days, and the movie was shot in 20 days and made for $320,000. It was so cheap that John Carpenter could negotiate getting final cut on the movie, which otherwise, you know, is difficult to get. He has an ex-girlfriend named Laurie Strode. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's not weird at all. No. <laughs> no. At least he didn't yeah, kill her. Lived. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. she lives. <laughs> yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis said that John... Carpenter and Deborah Hill were the oldest people on the set. They were 30. So this was really like, <laughs> wow. I don't think they were all students at the time, but it basically was very she, much she like She was 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone was super, super young on this movie, except for Donald Pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> when we were young, they all were. This was Jamie Lee Curtis's debut movie, too. She obviously is Janet Lee's daughter, Janet Lee of Psycho fame and Dying in the Shower fame. <laughs> she is very known for that. Famous from <laughs> Halloween H2O. Also famous from that. <laughs> Spoilers. And Jamie Lee Curtis would go on to be dubbed the Scream Queen and star in movies like The Fog, Prom Night, Terror Train, and Road Games, all of which are horror movies. The Fog is John Carpenter also, right? Mm-hmm. It's really, really good, too. I just saw that for the first time. Yeah, I just watched The Fog. Actually, Janet Lee is in that as well. Mm-hmm. And so is Nancy Loomis, who plays mm. the... Um, the babysitter who dies in the car in Halloween. Oh, interesting. And the main male character in that movie is named Nick Castle. And Nick Castle is who played Michael Myers in Halloween. Mm. Oh. And there's also a character named Dan O'Bannon, who's the guy who created <laughs> Alien. So he's, he can't make up names, apparently. He's just like, I know a person. Yeah. Well, and John Carpenter, like, litters everything he makes with references to other things he's involved in. Does that mean that John Carpenter knew someone named Snake Plissken? <laughs> I <laughs> think so. Yeah. He was uh, he was the gutter guy. He yeah. came to clean his yeah. gutters every week. And he was always walking around like, call me Snake. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mr. Plissken. <laughs> Come on, guys. Our relationship's closer than that. <laughs> Mr. Plissken was my father. <laughs> <laughs> The Michael Myers mask is obviously, like, very iconic now. At the time, they were considering two different masks. Famously, that mask is a Captain Kirk mask that has been stretched out. (laughs) So it's basically (laughs) a very weird thing that William Shatner is really the most terrifying horror icon ever. Again, no, it totally fits. I mean, you've seen William Shatner. Yeah. (laughs) And his face looks more now like the mask than it ever did before. That's true. They were also considering uh, a mask from someone called Weary Willie. Excuse me? (laughs) Weary Willie. That that doesn't ring a bell. (laughs) Uh, I think you'll recognize it. Uh, when I show you, it's a sad clown. <laughs> uh, the phrase, I think you'll recognize when I show you my weary willy. <laughs> just sounds threatening, Chris. Does this look familiar to you? Yep, I, it definitely does. Oh, yeah, kind of yeah. like a hobo clown. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it actually, it does. Has someone done that for a movie now? Not like this specific All Weary right. Willy. Okay. <laughs> they have to workshop that name. <laughs> Weary Willy. 
any relation to Wooly Willy. Saw type villain. I'm sorry, I stepped over. No, that's okay. Wooly Willy. <laughs> Don't step on that, please. That's very painful. But it's kind of interesting that Michael Myers could have been the original evil clown. Well, he is in the first scene. He puts on a clown mask exactly. and kills yeah. his sister. So I guess he is, but then they did a different mask, but he could have been like a clown killer. It's it's hard to imagine this movie being a killer clown movie and having the same effect. Yeah, definitely. I think it the thematically fits too, just to have that kind of blank face where it's like he's supposed to be this force of nature or this fate that is inescapable that is not a human person at all. Mm-hmm. So they made the right choice like, is what I'm saying. <laughs> just like William Shatner. <laughs> Halloween was released on October 25th, 1978. It grossed $47 million in the US and $70 million in total worldwide, making it the most successful independent film of all time for a very very long time it's still one of the most successful films because it only costs you know three hundred thousand dollars wow i think it depends on exactly what you're using to measure success but in terms of like return on how much much fun you had you know like (laughs) (laughs) the profits in your heart yeah are what count (laughs) and in terms of how much money it's probably made on video and from sequels and everything it almost certainly has to be the most successful of all time Absolutely. Yeah, it's it has to be like a billion dollar franchise plus at this point. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with our guests. What is your history with Halloween and with these horror movies in general, this whole wave of 70s and 80s, Jason, Freddy, etc.? Uh, I can go pretty quick. None at all. (laughs) Wow, you want to stretch that out a bit? We got time to fill here, buddy. (laughs) I I do not care for horror movies. I never watched them growing up. And I only recently started watching horror movies uh, because I married a horror fanatic. Um, Who's that? Sounds like a great guy. (laughs) He's okay. No, he's the best. <laughs> it's <guy>. me. <laughs> yeah, and we went. What was? But you must have seen a horror movie before with that. I'd only, I'd only seen like Rosemary's Baby. But you hadn't seen and Carrie. When that was no, cool. I hadn't. No, I hadn't seen anything from like the eighties and nineties in horror. Hadn't seen Poltergeist. Hadn't seen. You had Freddy. seen Carrie. You just said. I, yeah, I'd only yeah, okay. seen Carrie and, and Rosemary's Baby, and I love Carrie, and it, which also features PJ oh, yeah. Souls. Which yeah. we'll talk about a little bit later, um, but yeah. But otherwise, I ne- I just tuned. never watched horror movies until we started dating. And then our first one was Zombieland. Yes, you've only seen one of the f- of the nightmare movies, and that was part three. I actually love Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. I don't know why, but I think Dream <laughs> Warriors is like an amazing movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and you've seen none of the Friday the Thirteenth, I guess. No, I haven't. Except I've, for part of when I'm watching. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll catch it when you're watching one of them. Like I'll walk in the room and I'll be like, "Oh, it's that guy again." And then, had <laughs> you seen a Halloween movie before this? No, never seen a Halloween movie. Wow. So I, ha- I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a big Jason fan, and I think it's just growing up. It was on USA up all night all the time with like uh, Gilbert Gottfried or whoever. Uh, so I saw also this, terrifying. Yeah, which is like the worst <laughs> way to me watch it. Too, because it's like, oh, we're gonna cut out the bloody stuff, and you're just left with the story. No, but I loved, <laughs> I loved that stuff. I loved those movies that are, or at least I just saw them enough. I don't know. I was a person who I, I watched a lot of television. <laughs> if it was on TV, I definitely watched it, and those were the ones that were on for me. So I preferred Jason over Freddy. I saw those movies. Wes Craven's New Nightmare might have been the first horror movie that I went to the theater and saw. I remember that was like seventh grade for me. 
But yeah, I just always loved Jason. I remember when Freddy vs. Jason finally came out. I remember reading about it in Nintendo Power Magazine when they were <laughs> Hell like, yeah. Freddy and Jason are gonna team up. And it was like, oh my god, it's gonna happen! <laughs> and it took like another 12 years or something and they finally did it. I loved it. I loved watching it. Just want a new one every year. But anyway, I was always on the Jason train and I just, I had seen Halloween because I know it's like one of those you have to watch. I read about it, but I just, I don't know. Michael Myers never quite did it for me. I guess I might, it might just be, it's too intellectual for me. (laughs) I just wanted something simple. I'm just like, I'm, I can just root for Jason just to kill these idiots. Oh, so <laughs> you don't yeah. need to know his inner motivations. Yeah. So watching, desires. So I had seen Halloween before. I saw H2O, and I think I was probably working at Hollywood Video when that came out. I bet you. And, and I watched it back then. I remember seeing Halloween 3 season of The Witch when my brother <laughs> rented it. He had a, like a Halloween party and like, we're going to watch a scary movie. But back then, he, you know, it's a blockbuster night. So like... If you wait until, like, the night before Halloween to go to Blockbuster, that's Slim Pickens on the shelf, so Halloween 3 was still there. And I warned him. I was like, this is not what you think it is. <laughs> There's been a resurgence of people loving this movie, uh, but it's not what they thought it was. <laughs> so Yeah, sadly, I still have not seen Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, but yeah. I know many things about it. Yeah. So I do that does not that. sound like a great blockbuster night to me. No, I have not revisited it since everybody's been talking about it, but uh, I do remember seeing it back then. I recently, maybe three, four months ago, saw Halloween 2 for the first time, and it was great. I loved it. It's more of a slasher, I think more of a stupid Jason-type movie, so that's probably why I loved it. And there's just some really dumb kills that are just fun. Anyway, that's my history with Halloween. (laughs) I've seen the Rob Zombie one, too, but I didn't watch the second one. It was enjoyable. If you like Rob Zombie, you will like it. If you like Halloween, you may not. (laughs) If you like Halloween, you may not like this Halloween movie. (laughs) Cool. What about you, Seth? I always liked spooky things, scary things, of course, unless they were narrated by Robert Stack. Um, I did not watch many slasher movies, but uh, though I did see many rated R movies when I was super young, the first slasher movie I remember ever seeing in theaters was I Know What You Did Last Summer. (laughs) (laughs) Which is weird, because as we discussed in our Scream episode, I didn't see Scream either in the theater or on video. Um, But for whatever reason, I was compelled by the charm of Jennifer Love Hewitt. (laughs) Uh, The power of... (laughs) J O H. Yeah, yeah, or the Gordon's Fisherman like killer guy, yeah. <laughs> the meat hooker. Yeah, um, and I know I like. I probably saw The Exorcist for the first time um, around that age, or maybe a year or two before. Oh, if you're counting Psycho, like you mentioned earlier, then I saw that when I was a kid for sure. My mom loved yeah. loved Hitchcock and showed us all the stuff. I was just a latecomer to horror, but then once I started in on it, I really loved it. Weirdly, though, I never did and still never have seen a single Friday the 13th movie. Mm-hmm. And I think I like there to be something unsolved <laughs> about the bad guy, about the boogeyman. I like when there's a bit more complexity to why they boogie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From whence they boogie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's, for me, the reason I never get into slasher movies was like, I like character development and you know and pathos and all of the emotions that come with a movie like the babadook or a movie like carrie that Mm -hmm. has all of that 
dramatic work underneath it if it's just some dick with a knife for 90 minutes i just like i just don't care and even halloween i was like this is like this is objectively a good movie i'm enjoying it but i would never like watch it again that's the script that you're working on right now dick with a knife it is <laughs> coming to theater soon can we coming, make that it'll halloween say, 18 halloween 18 <laughs> <laughs> i for me a lot of the horror movie appeal especially when i was younger but still today is just the kill like i want a creative kill i want to see blood i'm a gore fan and i feel like maybe jason was delivering highly on that he's just like a walking blunt instrument I've always been curious, like, what about that, though, is appealing to you? Because I actually don't particularly like gore. Oh, it, it really depends, I guess. But if it feels, like, really senseless, I, I think I like it a lot less. Like, I can handle it in a movie, you know, with a great story because I feel like it adds to, like, the emotional impact. But when it's just that, I'm, like, not really that interested. So I'm always curious, like, what what is appealing about that? I think maybe just the morbid curiosity of, like, this is something I would never want to see in real life. It's a terrible tragedy, things that happen to people in real life, but I just can't... You, it's, yeah, morbid curiosity. Just want to look at a way that's like a, I don't know, dark fantasy fulfillment without actually anybody hurting or anything. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I... I uh, it's funny, because... I like I I won't say that I like seeing gore in movies. Like I'm okay with it if there's a dramatic reason, if it advances the story. Um, but I am freaked out by when people post photos of like war casualties on Facebook or like starving dogs and children and babies on Facebook or social media. Like that shit freaks me out. Like I I do not want that in my periphery whatsoever. Um, but there is a psychological distancing and a remove when it's something that you know is, um, is fiction. I will, I will say even in movies, I'm one of those people who's like, like I'll root for Jason to kill people, but don't hurt that dog, man. I don't want to <laughs> mm-hmm. see the dog get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's not, not a judging thing or I, I don't judge it because I think there is a part of humanity that is in the human experiment experience that is inherently fascinated by death and mortality. Um, and I think that part of why scary movies are scary to us and entertaining to us is that kind of fascination with mortality. Are you able to think of a gore example with a great story that makes the gore palatable? I can think of one. It's not horror, but something okay. like a Scorsese movie. Like, Casino is really oh, violent, yeah. <laughs> but it really adds to the movie. And it really, the, that movie is so good. And Scorsese's movies are so good that you can kind of, like, look beyond the gore. Or the gore is, like, saying something larger about the brutality of these gangsters. Yeah, exactly. The movie that came to mind for me was actually Drive, mm-hmm. the Ryan Gosling yeah. movie. Yeah. Because there's a scene that I found really shocking in the theater when uh, Christina Hendricks's head like explodes because she's shot and it's like a surprising moment and it's kind of disgusting. It's like a full on head explosion. Mm-hmm. But because that movie is so artful, like I'm still a little bit like freaked out by that, but I'm also like kind of fascinated by that scene because it's just such a explosion of violence in an unexpected way. I guess maybe that's, the difference is that in a slasher movie, it's just kind of like, oh, really? Like, you're you're slashing something? Like, <laughs> I'm may, so surprised. Yeah, so maybe Pulp Fiction falls into that for you, too. There's yeah. Like, I would say also, I, ha- I, I feel like I've been interested in filmmaking, or at least learning about filmmaking, since I was a little kid. So even then, I would say there was a component of like, oh, how did they do this effect? Or like, oh, this is how they make fake blood. And like, I can kind of see what they're doing a little bit. I like that. So... 
seeing a good gore effect pulled off. I don't need a story around it. I just want to see it look cool. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that a lot of horror fans are really interested in how the effects are pulled off, too. Like, there's mm-hmm. like there's something almost built in, I think, about their appreciation that they know it's a trick and an effect and that they like knowing that and even seeing kind of, like, behind, like, what went into making that effect. And Carpenter does such great practical effects. Yeah, like, and he's, I was just going to say, and he's worked with some of the most legendary mm-hmm. effects artists of all time. I mean, one of my, f- and again, I, I'm not, I don't consider myself a horror movie fan, but I do love monster movies and I do love sci-fi and fantasy and even like those practical effects in The Thing yeah Stan Winston great incredible oh they're fantastic and it's like it's gooey and it's gross and it's very tactile what struck me about Halloween because I'd never seen it before was how bloodless it actually is like it's Mm -hmm. so few kills it's really not gratuitous at all especially compared to like a horror movie from today it's like H2O like H two O, there's extra gratuity. Yeah, yeah, I did not. Gratuity is included. Eighteen percent, I think. Twenty <laughs> percent because of the help. Is that is that the gratuity or the Rotten Tomato score? On that? <laughs> yeah, my background on these movies is pretty much entirely through Scream. I was coming of age in the '90s and came of age right at the time for Scream to be the first real horror movie that I saw, which is ironic because it makes fun of all the other horror movies and pretty much spoils them all. And, <laughs> you know, well, says like, oh, like, here's how all the characters are behaving stupidly in that. Or you see the climax of Halloween in the first Scream. They're watching it on video and they're saying like, look behind you. So... I probably only knew who Michael Myers was through Scream. I knew who Freddie and Jason were. I feel like those were the real icons. And Michael Myers was not quite the same level. Like, he's obviously a very well-known horror figure, but I feel like he didn't quite break through as a pop culture figure in quite the same way. And I think, like, for whatever reason, like, Freddie and Jason became, like, fun characters. Kind of like you're saying is, like, there's nothing really to take seriously about, especially, I think, the later sequels in in some of those. And maybe the first Nightmare on Elm Street has some kind of um, depth to dig into. I haven't seen it in a while. It does. Mm -hmm. That series just gets more and more comical as it goes. Yeah. He becomes a stand-up comedian where the first one's not like that at all. Yeah, and I think that's how kind of the – like, they almost function as comedies where you're waiting for, like, the set piece and for him to, like, jump out. And and you're just so used to the tropes of, like, the girl, you know, like, getting out of the shower or whatever and going to check on what happened that it becomes funny instead of scary at a certain point. I don't think that Michael Myers really kind of ever was that kind of figure. So I think he remained more of a like horror icon, but not so much a pop culture fixture. So basically, I may never have seen a Halloween movie except for Halloween H2O came out in 1998, which (laughs) was, you know, two years after Scream, less than two years after Scream. And right in that sweet spot, um, Kevin Williamson was involved. So I was immediately interested in that because it was basically a Scream movie, but with kind of even a more direct association with old horror movies because this was coming as a, as a sequel to Halloween. So it's interesting that my gateway into all this was through this kind of meta commentary on itself and Halloween H2O has a lot of Scream-like effects that are kind of very um, self-referential. So um, for a long time, that was my preferred version of Halloween and kind of uh, I had seen the original probably once, maybe twice and appreciated it, but I had never really watched it apart from its role as like a franchise starter and never really kind of examined it as a film on its own. It's interesting how Scream works like that, where like you 
you can watch something making fun of these tropes that you have never seen, but it's just such a cultural phenomenon, the horror genre that you know, you already know the tropes. Like, Yeah, for sure. I don't remember like seeing that movie and being like, what? <laughs> People, yeah, like it was very clear that those were true tropes of horror, even though I had never seen horror movies. For that matter, like I remember this is not a first horror movie I ever saw, but I remember seeing scary movie in theaters and uh, that rips, yeah. that makes fun of all of those horror movies and yeah. of Scream. And I just by being someone who is watching pop culture, you pick up on all of those tropes anyway, even if you haven't seen any of those. All of that stuff is still funny. Yeah. So what did you guys think of watching Halloween now? How long had it been since you had seen it, Dan? I probably watched it like in college, I'll bet you. So it'd be like <laughs> 15 years ago. <laughs> 16 uh, years ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I liked it a lot. Kind of continuing what we were just saying, I was struck. I'm not an expert, but I don't think it was the first to do any of these tropes, but it seemed like they nailed every one of them. Like it's kind of set the bar as like, this is the right way to do all those things <laughs> all in one movie. It seemed like scene after scene was like, oh, I'm watching a textbook of how to make a perfect horror movie. Yeah, I had that reaction too, is like, it almost seems like Halloween watched all the movies that came after and then like went back and made itself <laughs> and was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to create all these things. John Carpenter yeah. has a time machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's and he chose to use it for this. <laughs> when I was younger, I would have looked at that and been like, ugh. Just because you did it first doesn't mean I have to like this movie. Like, it's the blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I was struck watching it. Like, wow, they really nailed it. The last time I saw Halloween was the first time I saw Halloween. Before preparing for this podcast, I had only seen Halloween one time. A couple of years ago, I started really going in depth in John Carpenter's filmography. There have always been at least a couple movies of his that have been in my regular rotation. Like, I really like Big Trouble in Little China. And Go Great Mars. movie. Yeah, yeah, go to Mars. That's the other one. Uh, no, and um, and Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. Yes, um, and but because I work in a place that has a film library, like a really extensive one, there were a ton of John Carpenter movies that I could check out. So I've gone through like They Live, I watched Christine, which oh, we talked about on the podcast, so um, and just really have fallen very much in love with John Carpenter's genre hopping um, with his technical craft at kind of staging scenes and staging horror moments, like horrifying moments, even in movies that are not at all horror movies, and also really come to appreciate his ability to do suspense rather than just surprise. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there are like jump scares in all these Halloween movies, but where I think it really sets the bar super high is in suspense. Well, that no, the blood test scene in the thing is what comes to mind for me. Oh my god! That yeah, but yes, so yes. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> like, make oh, your skin crawl. Yes, yeah. Jump scares though. That was something that we talked about watching this movie. Is that there, it seemed like there is at least one now that I went back with the commentary. But H two O had a ton of like fake jump scares where like mm -hmm. everything it was does. a music hit and yeah. it's like ah, you're scared now for no yeah. motivational reason. Yeah. But the original Halloween had like. I think I can only think of one that was where like there are jump scares, but it's because the killer is there, like because something bad is happening. Yeah. And oh, there's yeah. only one like fake jump scare that I can think of, and it's when when Lori like backs into the sheriff. What I liked yeah. about it was that it's the lack of jump scares, but also just how bare bones it is. Mm -hmm. Like there's like he's literally standing in 
full daylight in that fucking mask and that jumpsuit, just staring at them openly like he's not hiding. And I thought that that just that bluntness of just a weirdo, like visibly stalking you, I thought created such a great sense of dread. Yes. Yeah, I guess we should. This would be a good time to stop and say, what is the plot of Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, basically the opening scene of Halloween is, uh, well, we don't know who it is, but we are in the point of view of somebody uh, who we can eventually tell is dressed like a clown, (laughs) because we see a little clown arm uh, grabbing a knife. (laughs) Grabbing a mask, a clown mask. A a mask as well. And that opening scene, like, roots us in the point of view of the killer the entire time. Eventually, we learn that that is Michael Myers. As a child, he killed his sister. And then sometime later, 20 years later, something like that? 15. So he's Mm -hmm. 21 when the rest of the movie takes place. He's six at the beginning. Okay. Yeah, so he escapes from a mental hospital where he's been basically sitting there for 15 years like blank faced and not not responsive he's not a he's not a chatty kathy <laughs> <laughs> and uh basically it's just the story of three babysitters uh they're all friends and two of them are into like drinking and sex and and one of them is actually a real babysitter <laughs> <laughs> and uh he stalks them and and yeah, the lead the lead character is the nerd of the group. That would be Laurie Strode. Yeah, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, and she and her freewheeling friends. All, <laughs> they're all babysitting on Halloween because Halloween is a big date night in Haddonfield. All the parents have got to go out. Yeah, there are no parents pretty much anywhere in this movie. They are all gone. And you see that what Lindsay's parents leave, and they're not dressed in costume. They're just going out. It's just Halloween. It's just a good night. Like Restaurants aren't packed, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs a babysitter on Halloween. But I also think it was like the 70s and the 80s was a time where it was like, parents are going out, we're living our own lives, there's no helicopter parenting. So it's like, yeah, get the teenager from next door, I'll watch you, we'll, we'll be back in four yeah, hours. I think multiple maybe. times in this movie you see people arrive home and shut their windows. <laughs> yeah, it's it's less helicopter parenting than like, buoy parenting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I I think picking up on both like the plot as we're ta- setting it up, and also Chelsea, what you were talking about, to me one of the most effectively scary things is just seeing Michael Myers watch Laurie Strode. Like he watches her as she's walking to school, he watches her as she's at school, and then walking home from school. And as that happens, in particular, basically the only soundtrack is the sound of Michael Myers breathing in that mask. And just even that one teeny, teeny, tiny sound design choice amplifies the fear and creepiness of it so, so much in a way that I think most other horror movies don't have the filmmaking vocabulary to achieve. Yeah, I was really struck by that as well. I mean, I think so many horror movies, obviously they rip off Halloween, do that like killer's point of view thing for at least like a shot or two, Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be creepy, but it usually isn't. (laughs) Yeah. And in this movie, like it starts the entire sequence is like rooting you in this point of view. And it's a very slow build, like talking about suspense. And it's this weird, because you're in his point of view. And you're kind of complicit in this way because you're like watching him or you're basically the camera grabbing the mask, grabbing the knife, like preparing obviously to do this horrible thing. And yet you don't really feel like that's you. Like it's actually making it scarier that it's someone else, but that you're like almost like trapped in their point of view. And that breathing, I think, emphasizes that as well as it's like, this is as if it were me, but this is not what I would do. So I'm actually like feeling like a 
big distance from this person. Like I, I found that kind of juxtaposition of like being in the point of view, but not actually feeling like I would actually <laughs> want to be, you know, killing babysitters. Uh, <laughs> you would? No. no, it's not my thing. <laughs> I he was really curious at some yeah. point, but and that was, was just a phase. There's a lot of cut it out of my system. I was like, nope, not for me. <laughs> Thanks, Halloween. To each his own. There's a lot of shots that are not Michael Myers POV that are still like the camera's far away. It's a very long shot. The characters are walking away. You wouldn't normally see that in a movie, and you're just sort of, as an audience member, feeling like a voyeur. Even when it's not in the Michael Myers POV, there is that feeling of like you're watching. Yeah, I really appreciated because um, Michael Myers is such a like cold and objective character, and I feel like the camera in all movies is kind of like a, also a cold and objective character, at least a lot of movies. And I liked the way that they're literally the same thing in the beginning of the movie, but then throughout the rest of the movie, you're kind of not sure necessarily is this Michael Myers like standing at a remove watching people, or are we just watching people? There's this whole really interesting relationship I think between like us and the camera and the killer and the camera. There's a movie called Peeping Tom where, like, I think the killer is literally killing people with the camera and you see it in that point of view. So I think there's like a precedent for that. And Mm. um, that was also used in Black Christmas a lot. But I found it really interesting in this movie just how uncomfortable I felt being a part of. Oh, yeah. And especially like the way that it's switching between that first person perspective and away from it. It's like complicating that relationship between you and the fictional perspective of this movie without giving you any resolution of it. I, what I found really interesting was when I was watching the opening credits and I saw that a woman co-wrote this, the rest of the movie made a lot of sense to me because what struck me about it is that all women, women everywhere, all walks of life, have this fear of men. They have a fear of being watched by men or of being stalked by men or even just being followed by a man in a car. Like, ev- literally every woman has had that experience at least once in her life of this creepy guy is here. And it's usually met with not being taken seriously. Like when Laurie Strode tells the sheriff that she thinks someone's watching her, you know, her friends are kind of goofing on her. Like, I remember one of her friends is like, well, if he's cute, invite him in, you know? And just that idea of like women not feeling safe and society not believing them, I thought was like a very powerful, very resonant moment. And I want to talk for a second because a lot of people attribute this movie to the whole, to the classic slasher film, like the slutty girls die first, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. such a big trope. To me, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, her friends are like, they're partying and they're sleeping around. But to me, it was more of like, her friends are just plain dumb. Then yes, then like they yes. got murdered because they're sluts. I was like, I was like, no. When that one girl spills popcorn butter on herself and then gets locked in the laundry room and then gets stuck in the window, I was like, this is some Amelia Bedelia level nonsense. <laughs> How has this girl not been murdered earlier? If she's already buttered. She should just fly right through that. Window. I know. <laughs> she took off the buttered clothes. Yeah. She should have left them on and right. shimmy through the window. Oh yeah. No, but Chelsea, that especially rang true to me this time is the extent to which this movie, it, maybe not the overall franchise but especially this movie the real quote-unquote supernatural force in this movie is the creepiness and shittiness of men and especially the shittiness of men toward the sexuality of women and women's enjoyment of it it's not at all a movie and michael myers is not a force that is punishing women for having sex it's a force of like masculinity and patriarchy that is kind of seemingly unstoppable Mm -hmm. also in our own daily world To me, that was a thing that makes it thematically a lot more resonant and a lot more scary, even as a man watching the movie. 
And I think what's interesting is that not only is Laurie Strode an intelligent character, like we know that she's a smart girl, we know that she's nerdy, but she's also very perceptive. And she's picking up on stuff that no one else is really seeing. Like, like she's the only one that sees Michael Myers staring at them. And, like, while the other girls are distracted, she's the one, like, she's the only person in the movie that's really paying attention, which is, I think, why she survives. Spoiler alert. That's one of those first, like, when I was talking about textbook horror movies, when she's she's sitting in class towards the beginning of the movie, because he's just standing outside the window. The whole class could see him. He's just standing there. That seems to be Michael Myers' greatest X power is knowing when someone has just looked at him so that he can then move for the second look. <laughs> I want to see like the Michael Myers only version where then he like quickly like runs yeah. out of the frame. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also I found it was funny because in basically each of these movies there's at least one moment where Michael Myers like bumps into something and makes a noise. And I just want to see the outtakes where he was like tripping over flower pots and yelling, God damn it. With the Benny Hill theme playing. <laughs> exactly. There's not enough yakety sacks on this soundtrack for my taste. <laughs> so Laurie's, Laurie's in class studying the theory of this film that you're in, 101. <laughs> which is another, like, that became the trope of every horror movie ever to come after it, but, like, there it is. And she has a speech about fate and you can't avoid fate and all this stuff while she's looking out the window at her own, like, at her would-be own killer. <laughs> yeah. There's no such thing. Richie said he was coming after me tonight. Do you believe everything Richie tells you? No. Tommy, Halloween night, it's when people play tricks on each other. It's all make-believe. I think Richie was just trying to scare you. I saw the boogeyman. I saw him outside. There was nobody outside. There was. What did he look like? The boogeyman. Yeah, I was also really struck by the character of Lori and how intelligent she is and how observant she is. And I asked myself, too, at first glance, this movie really does reinforce the slutty women die mm-hmm. first trope. But yeah, I mean, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill themselves have said that that is not an intent that they meant to have. And I think you can see that in her character is that these other girls are all into boys and, you know, drinking and whatever. And it's not that those are sinful things. It's just that those are distractions. And I think the character of Lori still has a connection to childhood. Like, she's a little bit more innocent. She's the babysitter who actually, like, will connect with the kids and kind of say, like, mm-hmm. oh, you're fr- afraid. Like, let me explain this to you. Whereas the other babysitters are just like, shut up. Like, get out of my way. I want to have sex with my boyfriend. <laughs> well, I think what's so interesting is that Lori is a really good babysitter. Like, she actually gives a shit about the kids, unlike mm-hmm. the other two. But also, they have all of these kind of hallmarks of maternity. Like, Lori's wearing an apron when she's making the kids food, unlike the other girls. So that's why when she spills the butter she has to get naked you know Lori's the one who has enough wherewithal to put the kids in the room to protect them from the killer like there's all these kind of maternal symboling happening throughout the movie even though like on the one hand she's this innocent childlike girl but she also has this kind of like motherly relationship with these kids where she really does protect them like Laurie Strode is not just a hero because she, you know, she fights off Michael Myers, but she's, like, protecting these children. Like, if it were up to PJ Souls and that other girl, like, those kids would have been dead yesterday. Yeah, she deserves <laughs> a tip. Yeah, she deserves a big tip. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And and you you were exactly spot on, Chelsea. Like, her friends are total doinks. <laughs> yeah. Although, I, will, I do have to say, I love PJ Souls. She's also... She has a history of playing, like, the mean girl in these horror movies. Like, she was the girl whose personality in Carrie was baseball hat. She was just the one in the hat. And she was in Rock and Roll High School, the Ramones movie. Uh, Totally, is what I'll say to that. (laughs) I believe literally every single line of dialogue she has has the word totally in it in Halloween. Yeah. 
they, they oversold that a little bit, yeah. but it, it, it's funny. And yeah, the side characters kind of perform a nice role of being very extreme versions of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, PJ Souls is playing kind of the ditzy cheerleader, and then the other one is very, very sarcastic, <laughs> like and I mean, basically dripping with sarcasm. Yeah. And that's without even getting into like Dr. Loomis, who's like Michael Myers' shrink. Oh, yeah, we haven't And his, it, it, we haven't brought him up yet, but he is a character throughout this entire movie whose really one talent is showing up at the wrong place, <laughs> showing up at the one place where Michael Myers isn't at any given point in time. <laughs> and it's hilarious because it's like, of course, there have been like those kind of psychiatrist characters throughout film history, but I love it because of how it just undercuts that kind of character because he thinks he has the game figured out. He thinks he's going to be the one to take down Michael Myers and he's just pissing his pants in fear too and uh, like about to accidentally shoot people. He tries. He's another person who no one will believe him at all this is true guys i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that dr loomis is not a good psychiatrist (laughs) (laughs) wait clearly didn't rehabilitate michael very well (laughs) number one didn't rehabilitate michael number two couldn't get a word out of him so all the diagnoses that dr loomis is making is just based on staring at michael myers's blank face for 15 years Hmm, black guys evil got it like nailed it he's like okay i I think we've got this diagnosis um but then my job here would you say don't blink if you're waiting don't blink if you're waiting to kill someone. <laughs> ah, I'm making a note, Michael. Blink twice if you're secretly good. I feel like it's like blink. him and like Dr. Chilton in the Hannibal Lecter movies. Like they're yes. both like the most useless psychologists. Seems to me you're just plain scared. Yes. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. And even when the sheriff is like, oh, well, let me call the news, like the news station, the radio stations, Dr. Loomis is like, no, don't do that. And it's like, well, why not? There's a serial killer on the loose. Let people know, hey, there's a creeper there's walking a around trying to. Explanation. What does he people. say? Why is he He's say, like, I he don't want to say something. He says something like, I don't want to start it's like, a panic. There's a panic. Is that it? And I was like, I don't know. I feel like if you're going to panic, now would be the time. Yeah. Like, it's a great time to panic. Free panic. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor, would you say it's time to panic? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would get. Yeah. And I love it because there are like long, long tracking shots where Michael Myers is just driving slowly directly behind Dr. Loomis. Yes. <laughs> so there's that. So when he's, what is he, there's a throwaway line, it might even happen at night when he steals the car, where he's like, someone must have taught him how to drive! Yeah, yeah, So yeah. think about, he, Michael <laughs> Myers, never spoke, he never spoke, never responded to stimuli, but someone successfully taught him how to drive. I think it was Dr. Loomis, I think he, that's what he spent no, he's the whole time doing. He was he trying to it. connect to him, you know, by teaching like, him oh, how to drive. And he's it like, was I can't, me. Yeah, I can't let anyone know. <laughs> He was like, look, we really wanted to go get ice cream. <laughs> I thought he would start talking. Loomis is a character from Psycho, that name. Oh, That's yeah. That's trivia, but... But yeah, and it just made me appreciate how well this movie does that trope of 
everyone except for our lead character is in some degree oblivious to the horror that is about to befall them. You know, like there's literally one of my favorite lines in this was, there's nobody outside, go watch TV. (laughs) 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 And yeah, like that, that movie marathon that she sits the kids down to watch, like it really is that kind of, no, you're fine, you're fine, don't worry about it, when no, the horror is really imminent. Yeah, I mean, we talked about, uh, in the last episode, the Goosebumps episode, (laughs) but we talked about a lot of uh, not being believed by adults. Mm -hmm. And I think this movie (laughs) is really smart to be set on Halloween because it is the one night when teenagers will do stupid shit and there might be a, like, random guy standing around in a mask. And it really puts you in the position of, like, Laurie can sense that there's something, like, not right with this guy. Like, she doesn't think that this is just, like, another prankster. And yet, like, she can't, like, logically be like, hey, there's a guy in a mask standing outside. Oh, it's Halloween, but I'm pretty sure this guy is a creep. Uh, like, there's... And, and you don't know, like, there are times when she is imagining him, you know? And, like, we never quite know if he's there or if she's imagining him. I like that there. it keeps you... Like, we know that he's there in some sense. In the first movie? Yeah. I feel like he's always there. I feel like sometimes she's just also, like, imagining him because she's seen him around. Uh, there's a few shots where it's like, how did he get out of there so quickly? I mean, that like happens a lot in horror movies. Bush, maybe? Yeah. Like that one. Or, like, I think when he's outside her house, like, behind... A laundry sheet? Well, yeah, and I like that uh, because it kind of sets up I mean, subjectivity. He, he knows on... he's just been looked at, so he's yeah. got to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like how it sets up subjectivity on not just Michael Myers' part and its relationship of, like, our perspective as an audience to Michael Myers' perspective, but also with Lori's case, because you don't know exactly what she's seeing, and she doesn't know if what she's seeing is what she's actually seeing. Yeah. I see. <laughs> I see. <laughs> I see. Lewis, Dr. Lewis had one of my favorite lines in the whole thing where he is posted up outside the old uh, Myers household waiting just to see what happens. And this little group of kids comes out, trick or treaters, and they're like, oh, it's the haunted house. I dare you to go up and see the haunted house. And they're like, oh, they're kind of daring each other. And then Lonnie, one of the kids, goes up there. And this is Dr. Lewis, who. Earlier today, saw a dead body, and he's on the trail of this killer, and he's that's his whole deal, is he's posted up, and he just sees an opportunity to just fuck with this little kid, and he's like, Lonnie, get your ass away from there! Like, what are you doing, doctor? <laughs> I do remember that moment. Like, I, like, Again, not a good doctor. No! He is better suited to running a haunted house, maybe. Yes. It's like, he should just post up in the Myers house and, like, run a haunted house and make some money on the side. Like, he's... So then, eventually, he's standing in that same position, waiting outside (laughs) the Myers house, turns around and sees his own car, and is like, oh my god, Michael's been here all night. Like, he couldn't have turned around earlier? This guy's really focused on that front door, I guess? I don't know. I really feel like Dr. Loomis is the kind of doctor that would, like, prescribe a patient cigarettes. (laughs) Well, well, of course your nerves are on edge. You need some sweet, sweet tobacco. (laughs) Some ether. (laughs) Go to the clinic and pick up some ether with mercury in it. It's these filters that are getting to you. (laughs) Go unfiltered and you'll feel better. Yeah, I like the irony that he's literally spent 15 years watching Mm -hmm. Michael Myers and has 
pretty much zero idea what to do. He knows it's going to be bad, but he doesn't have like a lot of <laughs>、yeah. great like solutions. Like, oh, he's you know, this is the way to stop him. He's just kind of like, well, I guess we better wait for him to strike, and then we'll you know <laughs> call you the know, police. You know what might work? <laughs> These bullets. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got a jumpy guy with a loaded gun, so it should be fine. And so there's like this expert who really is kind of clueless, and yet Lori who. You know, as a naive high school student, is the one who consents that he's there, and is you know, I really like the parallel between Laurie and Michael is that they're both always like watching, and like if she wasn't observing, she wouldn't notice that someone's observing her、mm-hmm. too. And all these other girls are just so distracted by everything else; they're just not paying attention. Like I feel like the movie is ultimately kind of about like you should pay attention to what's around <laughs> you. You know, like if you're gonna watch kids, like. Better pay attention to what's happening, and I just felt like Michael Myers in this movie jumped out to me, jumped out <laughs> <laughs> several times with loud music,、yes. but in a more metaphorical way, he jumped out to me as a just a me- really great metaphor for horror itself, and just how if you look, like you will see horror, and you'll notice these things. Like you can be in a room of people and not know that one of them is a serial killer. You can, you know, be in school and not notice that one of your classmates is, you know, planning to kill people. You know, you could that- be recording a podcast right <laughs> now、yes. and have no idea. <laughs> But like that, horror is all around us, and we don't know it. And that if you pay attention, you might see some of these signs. But most people go through life not paying attention and don't see these things. And I like just the way that it kind of. Makes a hero out of the person who's actually just like looking around and being like, you know what? There's something not right here, and、uh, you know I'm gonna go put the kids in the closet because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's good. I, what also struck me is the scene when Loomis and that guy they go to the cemetery、mm-hmm. to look for the grave, and that guy was like, "Well, something like this happens in every town," and it's like,、yeah. "Hold on, <laughs> wait, wait a minute." So it's like something like a child murdering their teenage sister just happens in every town, and just, then escaping, and then, then on the same night, fifteen years later, and、yeah. then stealing the tombstone from the yeah, tale as old as time. Yes,、yeah. we've all like, been there. I feel like number one, that's an insane statement to make, but on the other hand. Like there are these kind of stories and these boogeymen and these urban legends of like lots of different towns and there's always this spooky house and so there is always this sense of like like everyone's grown up with like that horror like there's something scary down the block or there is like something in the ether that's awful and dangerous and dark. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate like the extent to which Michael Myers is pure evil, but I also have to say that watching it this time, I realized I relate very deeply to Michael Myers in one very specific way,、uh, which is that I am not a runner.、Yeah. Um, I am a walker at heart. Uh, not a Texas Ranger,、mm-hmm. um, you know. And we walkers will get there when we get there if we don't just decide to. Say fuck it and drive there,、um, but Dan,、uh, you're a runner, I know, and I wanted your perspective. <laughs> past,、yeah. Do you think that Michael Myers would have been a better or worse insatiable blood monster if he had been a runner? I think good cardio is always going to help you in this situation, but I, it's just style points for him. This is another one of those tropes that is like used and abused these days. But when she's When Laurie's running away at the end, and I mean, she even like knocks on the neighbor's house, and they just assume that she's like some Halloween prankster, and he's just sauntering around. She's, <laughs> she, I think, in that same scene, she's also juggling for keys, and she might trip once or twice. And yeah, at least a couple But times. But he's like not worried about it. He, he's yeah, he's just、there. chilling. Yeah. So 
done very well again. Yeah. Yeah, I really think that that's effective. I mean, in a lot of horror movies, it's just scarier to see walking than running, but it just makes (laughs) him so indifferent, and I love that this character is so passive. Like, you have no idea what's going through his head. It seems like kind of nothing is going through his head. Like, he's almost like a a robot or something like that. Right, and it's like the the dispassion, the fact that you can't tell if or when he's ever actually, like, excited to be doing any Mm -hmm. of the things he's doing. Like, that only makes it scarier. That was great. When he kills Bob, lifts him up and sticks him to the cabinet with the knife. Yeah. And then he stands there and, like, tilts his head and looks at it and, like, kind of considers it for a minute. I thought that was yeah. very Yeah, great. that's a very scary yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah, it's very scary. I mean, because he still feels like a childlike character where he's. It, we get the sense that he's still just driven by kind of an impulse that he probably doesn't understand. And, yeah, he's just so <laughs> scary. <laughs> yeah, but that's a moment where you can see him thinking about something. Right, yeah. Yeah. There is a glimmer of humanity in him, even though it's very, very muted. And I think that that's how, you know, a lot of psychopaths are, is that obviously there's something different about their humanity. As buried as it might be, there's something human about them. And Halloween makes us wonder, like, why why he's doing this. Like, what made him snap when he was a kid? Like, there's no explanation, and there's no explanation for why he's going after these babysitters. Obviously, the sequels kind of come up with... uh, more of a backstory Hmm. there but in this movie it's just you can read into like a little bit of a sexual element because he kills the sister in the beginning after she's had sex and then he does do a lot of watching people make out and have sex and that kind of thing and he does seem to be kind of I would say perturbed by Mm -hmm. sex that that Mm -hmm. seems to be a trigger for him a particular thing that he's curious about but again I don't think it's like supposed to be like a moral statement of like you had sex and therefore you must die but um, other than that like there's just very, very little insight into him. And I find that to be the scariest thing because I think that when you get to someone who's doing this kind of thing in real life too, it's like you can try and like look for reasons, but really like there isn't a good reason. It's just like too horrifying really to comprehend. And I like that he just really embodies that. And I think that that's one of the things that the sequels did not (laughs) do so well once (laughs) once you learn that like there's this whole reason for it. Um, yeah, Dan, I really liked that beat when uh, Lori is running away from the house and the neighbor turns on the light, looks out the windows, and then immediately turns it off. Um, I also thought a really another fun beat was during one of the kills when Michael Myers dresses as a ghost when he goes in to kill Linda. Yes, that's the one that stuck with me from when I was like a little kid. Like I can remember seeing that being very young, and that stuck. Yeah, Yeah, well, and that's also, like, you know, like, throwing a sheet over yourself is also a trope in all kinds of movies, Mm -hmm. referring to spooky things, not even horror movies. Well, yeah, but, like, he's already wearing a mask, and then he, like, puts on basically an additional disguise, which... Mm -hmm. And it's, like, Michael Myers doesn't seem like a terrifically funny guy, usually, and this is this one (laughs) moment where he's, like, he's, like, playing a prank. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very like. <laughs> out of character, I think, in a way. Um, it was actually something that um, Nick Castle, who played him, mm-hmm. uh, came up with. That and the he- head tilt are those like wow. slightly like yeah. humane moments mm-hmm. are something that the actor came up with. But I think they really work in this kind of like keeping you guessing. Because yeah, if it had been a little bit too much, like he has no personality, then it might get boring. They they kind of get him up to the point where you're like oh what is he doing like why is he playing a joke now like and you just you just don't know i i love that this movie leaves you with so many questions and nick castle went on to be a director he directed the last starfighter 
Major oh, wow. Payne. <laughs> the, the Ellen DeGeneres vehicle, Mr. Wrong. Ooh. I love this Mr. Wrong. <laughs> if, you guys, if you guys ever do Mr. Wrong on this show, uh, I'm available. We <laughs> are right, not. Here. <laughs> That's another scene. The, the ghost in the sheet scene is another kind of touching on what you were saying earlier about Lori's observant and her friends maybe are not or maybe even narcissistic. That's PJ Souls is just monologuing to someone who does not answer her whatsoever <laughs> and just keeps rolling with it. And and then the same, or who's what's the other friend's name? I forget. Annie is it? She goes Annie, like yeah. seven straight minutes talking to the little kid in the other room without ever hearing an answer and just does not doesn't phase her. She's yeah. moving on. She hears the dog dying too and is like, well. Whatever. Like, <laughs> she doesn't understand the, the mechanics quiet. of dogs. Not great. No. <laughs> but also, I feel like if I were in PJ Soul's position when the ghost comes into the room, I'm not having a conversation. Like, because she talks to it for way too long. Like, I feel like five seconds in, you know that's not Bob. Take off their fucking cheek. Take off their fucking cheek. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like if that were me, like, if someone came in and she, I would just immediately punch them in the neck. But that, I was trying, <laughs> she's. Someone comes in my sheets, I punch them in the neck. <laughs> She's got to be wasted in that scene because I was, unless Bob was, I guess. But they were, they come out of the out of the van, Bob's bitchin' van that he pulls up in, and like cans are falling out of this. Van. They're like finishing some beers. Mm. When you when you see the when they cut to the bedroom as they're like finishing sex or whatever, there's six empty cans around them. So they've had a six pack just in that room. Yeah, there's another trope of this franchise, which is that no one's uh, alcohol tolerance levels are very well established. <laughs> we'll get more into that with Halloween H2O. Well, uh, she does demand a beer from Michael Myers several times, and I so she's not <laughs> found that amusing. She does. I, I wish he had had a beer like, and handed it to her. Yeah, right. That would have been great if a he just gave her blood. a beer and then killed her. Yes. <laughs> And a bloodless movie when he kills Bob and then who Laurie walks through the scene of that crime later mm-hmm. and there's not a speck of like he cleaned that up so fast. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of his superpowers. Is he yeah. Can. By H2O he's not bothering. There's <laughs> well, a lot of blood. He's twenty years he'll, older. He'll, he'll still H2O. move the body, but he won't clean it anymore. They feel like maybe he had a wet vac or something. Like you don't get a blood <laughs> out of a car that quickly. Yeah. Well obviously not by then. There's blood everywhere. I mean, I do, a lot of people don't know this, but Michael Myers did invent the Swiffer wet jet, (laughs) which, you know, buys a lot of masks. Um, One more horror movie trope that really came through clearly to me in this, and that I wanted to bring up because I don't know to what degree it registered for you guys. I counted and made sure of this, and every single time, Lori does find her way to kick the shit out of Michael Myers to use a convenient weapon or, like, steal a weapon nearby, but then every time, right after the moment oh, where yeah. she thinks mm-hmm. she's come out ahead, she drops <laughs> she the yeah. weapon. Like, every time. And every single time. <laughs> right. And then we're safe. I think, yeah, Michael Myers' body is just so hot that if you pierce it with anything, the handle of that thing... I guess so. Becomes, yeah, I guess so. Well, and, and I... Burn I, yourself. You I imagine... It. I understood it the first couple times that Laurie Strode did it. But eventually I was like, you're... You know you're going to need this later. You uh-huh. know you're going to want to hold on to this. Or at least you want to keep it out of his hands. Right? Yeah, also don't turn your back to a yeah. dead killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even if, There's like, a if lot you're, of... you're sure he's dead, <laughs> just face face the killer. Just yeah. face what you've yeah. done. What face would Michael what Myers do if you never looked away from him? I mean... He would start dancing. Yeah. All right. Great. <laughs> That's what he's actually doing when he steps beam, off scene. Beam somewhere. He's just Rob- Roger Rabbiting out of the scene. <laughs> he's <laughs> Charlestoning <laughs> by the laundry line. <laughs> 
we had a debate I would love to try and settle in this room. That Whoa. is when Doctor when Doctor Loomis and the sheriff go to the Myers house. There, there's a scene where they're looking through the house, and they're like, "Oh, my! Someone's been living here." And it, you don't see it, but there's a dog. That uh, there's a dead dog, and Loomis right. is like, "He was hungry. He's not <laughs> a man." And and the sheriff's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this." I'm saying Michael Myers ate that dog like, I'm, for lunch. Okay, and I'm saying he was hungry to kill, so that's why he killed that dog. He's just going to eat a raw dog? Come on. Why can't it be both? <laughs> why can't he be raw dog in it? <laughs> I know. I heard it as soon as she said it. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Uh, yeah, okay. You're right. It could be both. Yeah, but did I guess. you have any input on the... Yeah, well... I... Halloween. I don't think... I feel like Michael Myers doesn't eat. I think he's too... Yeah. Is that is that canon? Was that ever part of the Halloween first? Manorexic. Did Michael Myers eat? <laughs> I was saying he was the original incel, but I also yeah. think you're right. He's manorexic. For one, that mask doesn't, I don't think, have a mouth that mm-hmm. opens. So he would have to take off the mask, and I don't think he likes doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, I just can't picture him like stopping wow. every so often to grab like a Big Mac and stuff. Like I just feel like he's such a machine. Like he has one single goal, which is to kill people, and he can't be killed. Yeah, but he might have eaten the dog before he stole the mask from the hardware store, so he may not have had the mask issue. <laughs> He was he like, could, like he could, I yeah, appreciate he just, the thought you've clearly put into this, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree here. I have to side with Chris. I don't think I don't think he ate. The I dog. don't think Michael Myers is much of a foodie. Again, he's not a runner. Never he's eats. not a foodie. He doesn't stop to go to the bathroom. Like I really think that he's beyond all that. Like he's an basically immortal and has no need for your dog eating ways or your toilets or any (laughs) other like basic human functions yeah and again like as pure evil as he is i appreciate his practicality you know like he drives a station wagon that's what he steals he Mm -hmm. he goes for very practical utilitarian things in his life yeah, and it's just the knife. Yeah, just he, the kitchen knife. He's got yeah. the coveralls because, like, who needs to put a whole wardrobe together? Who has time? Exactly. Very much. He's got places to walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> One scene I really liked in Halloween was the um, kill in the car, which I actually got me when he like jumps from the back seat. And I yes. love like the detail when she gets in and she sees like the windows are fogged. It's like perfectly timed that he like kind of just as she realizes, like, he jumps out. And I'm so used to false scares. And by this point, there had been so many, like, times when he did not jump out of things mm-hmm. that I had sort of <laughs> forgotten that he might actually do it at some point. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he's actually here. Like, the the way that everything is so extended makes it actually pretty scary when yeah. something does happen. Even in that scene, it's, like, super drawn out because she goes to the car first and it's locked and she's like, oh, I forgot the keys. And then she walks back. And you see in real time, she walks out of the garage, all the way around the house, back into the house. She doesn't know where the keys are. She looks for her purse. She finds the keys. Then she sees a mirror. She has to adjust her hair in the mirror. And she starts singing a song. Back out to the garage. And then in the car. And then it happens. Yeah. So much of this movie playing out in real time makes it so much scarier, too. Yeah. It's because you get those just long, long sequences. And every mundane thing becomes 
a lot more suspenseful. Yeah, and there's a lot of groundwork in the beginning of laying out that geography and like, yeah, we're just gonna watch people's normal lives a lot in this movie and sometimes things might happen. Yeah, and that is kind of like when I feel like horrible things like in real life do happen is like when you're not expecting it and you're just like, you know, driving in your car or, you know, whatever and then like, oops, I crashed into something and now my head is gone. Uh, <laughs> whatever it means. What are those oopsies? <laughs> Everyday oopsies. Oops, my goops. <laughs> I also found the kills in this movie even though there's not a lot of gore and there's very, very little blood, they have a brutal feel. Very much so. Which is unlike, I think, so many other... And maybe, Dan, like, you have some opinions on this because you like those kill scenes, but, like, were these ones satisfying in the same way or were they, like, less satisfying because they... I don't know. To me, they felt more realistic and more, like... Like, you're actually watching the victim struggle. Like, a lot of them are being strangled or something instead of, like, sort of a really, like, graphic but quick cut something that might be in like a Jason movie or something. You know, I thought it was interesting. I I don't know that I would have said realistic for myself about maybe more realistic than more recent movies, but I did feel, I was surprised that they established even in this first movie that he seems to have some kind of superhuman strength where he's, Mm -hmm. when he jumps out of the back of the car, he's just sort of reaching around with one hand and he doesn't move or do anything. He's just clamped on and she's flailing around and then when she when he kills Bob especially is where he like just lifts picks him up one with one arm and then like the force that it must take to stick a knife through somebody into a cabinet so solidly that he stays there is like that's pretty strong <laughs> so I was like <laughs> I don't know that's a really well built cabinet there and yet you still think he ate a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Well, yeah. that seems Is that like what he needed really to get the that. strength? Yeah. Yeah. You need that dog strength. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think a Michael Myers fitness video would be a bestseller. <laughs> I pitched that to a friend of mine the other day, Shaping Up, because they call him the shape, you get it? <laughs> shape Up. That's trademark copyright me, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should not have put it on a yeah. public podcast. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> There's going to be so many of those now. <laughs> My millions. <laughs> I also found it really interesting that this movie already had a meta element because Jamie Lee Curtis is Janet Lee's daughter. And it also like shows them watching the thing um, <laughs> on yes, the yeah. TV. Like there's already like a horror movie in the background. And this is widely considered basically the, one of the very first slasher movies and horror yep. movies and it's already type. referencing other yeah and i like how that's built in already like yeah. because people look at scream and think it was you know revolutionary in that way which it was in some ways but it's actually just been part of this genre kind of the whole time well yeah and uh john carpenter's version of the thing would come out the year after this yeah, I, I wonder if he knew he was making... Probably not, but I wonder, would he have had the success to be able to remake that movie without Halloween? I don't know. <laughs> he said in the comments... Unsolved mysteries, you guys. It was like his personal home copy of the thing that they played on oh, the wow. TV when they did the shot. So. Oh, wow. so, as mentioned, Halloween was a big success. Following that, in 1980, John Carpenter made The Fog, which also starred Jamie Lee Curtis. We mentioned that a little bit earlier. That was another horror movie. And then Halloween was followed by many sequels. (laughs) (laughs) The first one was Halloween 2 in 1981, which was written by Carpenter and Deborah Hill, but not directed by John Carpenter this time. He really did not want to make this movie. I guess he just did it for the money. (laughs) Are your folks home? They are gone. My dad had to take my Aunt Ruby to Hardin County, and my mother decided to go along. Didn't you hear? 
Hear about what? Some girl got killed in Haddonfield. It's on the radio. Hold on. When the police have cordoned off the entire area. To repeat, three teenagers have been found murdered in a house in the northwest section of Haddonfield. The names of the teenagers have not been released. I can't believe it. I know. You know, we probably knew her. Where did it happen? Down on Orange Grove. That's right down the street. I know. Sally, I can hear the sirens coming. They said the guy got away. Do they know who it was? No. Oh, God. I think you can kind of tell that he didn't want to make this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up watching so seen Halloween it? too. Week? Yeah, I oh, watched it last week? night. Oh, I watched it this week too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would go with that as well. It does have Jamie Lee Curtis. It's a very unusual premise for a sequel in that it's like literally not even a sequel. It's one movie with the first one because like in the end of Halloween, like he's gone already. So it's not really Mm -hmm. an ending to a movie. And then this just picks up with the rest of the same exact night. Instantaneously. Like just from that exact second. But it also kind of seems like a diehard two or three scenario. It seems like a kind of an escape movie set in a hospital, but not really like a Halloween movie to me. And also, it felt like the movie didn't really star Jamie Lee Curtis so no, much. she's barely like, in it. Like, she's barely in it. Yeah. I like all the house stuff, too, though, when he's, like, going through the neighborhood. It feels much more like a Friday the 13th movie than... Yeah, now you're talking. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. I see why you like it. Yeah, like there's a kill where a nurse is in a hot tub, Uh I guess. Like a hot tub that is capable of being a scalding tub. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Which Which you can tell because the temperature gauge says scalding. Yeah. (laughs) That's how you know. It turns it up to 11. Yeah. Yeah, And there's, yeah, like, and there are some pretty uh, inventive kills in it. And he, like, he sticks a needle in a nurse and, like, drains all of her blood out. Like, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely very much in the slasher vein. uh, (laughs) In the vein? Yes. No, no, no. Bingo. You hit an artery there. There's cool imagery, too. I like when he's bleeding from his eyes, and there's just, like, blood coming down the white mask. Yeah. There's a part where he, like, walks through a window, and, like, Mm -hmm. he doesn't even break stride. (laughs) He He just walks right through the glass. He has no need for doors. Yeah. He's just, he's the shark from Jaws. He's just coming Mm -hmm. at you. Yes, it definitely has some perks that probably the later Halloween sequels <laughs> did not have. It also introduces the idea that he is her brother, mm-hmm. which was not in the first movie. And John Carpenter has said he was drunk when he wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just no. didn't know what I else to do. That man. He was like, I had too many beers and... <laughs> That's what came out. Fucking love that man so much. I don't know. I kind of regret that that twist is put in a movie of this caliber. Yeah. Because there's already something about the dynamic specifically between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers that already seems Shakespearean or Freudian or something very profound to that level. And the idea of this being a relationship of like a sibling rivalry of sorts is really kind of interesting and fucked up and fascinating. 
captivating to me. And so I wish that had been like Dan, you were talking about that cut scene where he wrote like sister on the wall or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I wish that had been part of the first But movie. you know what though? It's not it when he wrote the first movie he says that he didn't think about the sister thing at all. That's not it. And right. it doesn't have anything to do with anything. Right. But, I mean like uh, clearly it's it this was the result of a mistake. But yeah. an intentional <laughs> version of that storytelling decision I think could really so make his- it an even deeper story. I think it still kind of does, right? I like retcons kind of, yeah, well, he's like, I know where he's going. I know what his plan is. This is what he's been waiting for. But I don't know. What was he waiting for? Like, why mm-hmm. is he going after Laurie Strode only? Like, right. But I think it's more interesting and just like it works better as a metaphor for fear is that he just like kind of randomly chooses and he sees her and she, like kind of like yeah. Chelsea's interpretation, which was, you know, about women. And, and you mm-hmm. know, it's not like in those situations like men have a really well thought out plan and have been waiting 20 years to hit on this girl in a creepy way it's like it's just like he sees her he likes her she sees him and he's like ah someone sees me yeah yeah Yeah, and i do think that it's a senselessness it's literally Mm -hmm. she's in the wrong place at the wrong time he sees her he chooses her and i think if you i listen to a lot of true crime podcasts so in a lot of the murder motivation or if it's someone that's it's literally like I saw this person at a supermarket and like I fixated on them and that's it, you know? And I think it also, you know, because I think for women, a lot of it is like, well, what did you do to provoke this? Were you wearing a short skirt? Were you flirting with him? Were you? And it's literally women just exist and mm-hmm. then men fixate on them. So I feel like that just on its own, that she wasn't even his sister. Like, I think the sister angle is interesting. I think that kind of deepens the relationship. But I think it's almost scarier that it's just like wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Randomness. I, yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, I do agree that there's some interest to the sister thing and the sibling thing, but I think in terms of actually being scary, it's much scarier that it's mm-hmm. just completely random, mm-hmm. as I think a lot of like real killings are. Is it, it is like this kind of un, like you can't put into words why mm-hmm. like one, this guy would fixate on yeah. this girl. It's just mm-hmm. like something almost like chemical that goes off in him and. Yeah, and speaking to the theme of fate is that it's just like there was she doesn't know what it is, but something about her just like sets him off. After Halloween two, there was Halloween three, the season of the witch in 1982, <laughs> which was very controversial because it had nothing to do with Michael Myers. They were going for an anthology uh, approach, and people did not like it. <laughs> <laughs> Because when you have a sequel to a movie, sometimes people expect it to have something to do with that movie. And also, doesn't it not have a witch, either? No, it has warlocks. Then shouldn't it be a season of the warlock? I mean, look, I'm not here to give notes on Halloween 3, but... (laughs) I think they could have used your notes, actually. There's witch mask. Oh, okay. That's about it. That's about it? Yeah. (laughs) And then there were Halloween 4, 5, and 6 in 1988, 1989, and 1995. These were all focused on Laurie Strode's daughter, Jamie, uh, and Michael Myers, like, trying to kill her, because obviously they couldn't get Jamie Lee Curtis back anymore. (laughs) (laughs) One Jamie's as good as the next. Uh, The sixth one had Paul Rudd in it, and he was playing Danny, the little boy from the first movie that Laurie was babysitting. And he's all grown up and obsessed with Michael Myers. I watched a few minutes of it. It was uh, not good. (laughs) Yeah, we watched the trailer for it, and it's all, it's just a scene of Paul Rudd. (laughs) Paul Rudd's here. The only thing I know about four, five, and six is that there is a cult, the cult of Thorn makes 
Michael Myers immortal. They do some spell or something, and that's why he can keep. We can keep making these movies, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Which was already in the first movie. I mean, it was already immortal. I don't right. know if I needed. I feel like mm-hmm. the more you explain these things, really, the less sense they end up actually making. <laughs> like, yeah. just leave it unexplained. And is Loomis in all of these? Besides, for he's three? in most of them. Yeah, I think the sixth one. He 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 died during the filming of the sixth one before it was released. So that was his last appearance. So Michael Myers was finally dead until 1998 when the success of Scream reawakened him once again. (laughs) (laughs) And all things horror uh, for the film Halloween H2O, which was released on August 5th, 1998, directed by Steve Miner. It's the only vitamin water with an unquenchable (laughs) thirst for blood. (laughs) (laughs) And this one involved Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream, and I know he did last summer. He wrote the story for this. He didn't actually write the script, but his original approach to it actually did include all of the Halloween sequels, but then they eventually decided to just say as if the first two had happened and then none of the rest had happened. (laughs) It um, it acknowledged Halloween 1 and 2 and Psycho. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically a sequel to Psycho, as if... uh, Maybe she survived and had a baby, or I don't know. Maybe that's why there was so much blood in that bathtub. She gave birth in there to a little daughter. Oh! Oh! oh. Damn it! Oh! Oh, Miss Tay, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to make you jump. It's okay. Well, hey, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. I've had my share. Uh, Miss Tay... I know it's not my place. If I could be maternal for a moment. I don't like to see you like this. I've seen you like this before, and we've all had bad things happen to us. The trick is to concentrate on today. So we also watched Halloween H2O, did we not? We sure <laughs> did. did. We? Yes. <laughs> My first note was that this movie begins with Mr. Sandman, um, mm-hmm. which by this point has become a recurring theme in the Halloween franchise and also on this podcast, as we previously encountered it in The Golden Girls. Uh, we did. And based on its prevalence, I have a feeling we're going to encounter it in future <laughs> episodes that we're just not remembering right now. Oh, it's in Back to the Future. Oh, oh, well, we'll get there. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is definitely a step down. I think there's a point at which it becomes more of a Halloween movie when it finally becomes Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode's movie. But yeah, everything in this movie is a level or two below the rest. Uh, the first kill... Or three. The first kill of the caretaker for Dr. Loomis is so bad. Like, he slices her neck and it's like a home movie. Like, yeah. practical effect. It's a bummer. Yeah, it was just not nearly as good. Some sweet Joseph Gordon-Levitt action, though. I love JGL. (laughs) Look, I love him and everything I see him Mm -hmm. in. I also think this is a movie that, you know, it's 20 years later, and they really hammer home that it's been 20 oh, so years since, like, every character is like, it's been 20 years. Well, you know, it's been 20 years. <laughs> it's, been, it's been 20 years. It's been, I, that really, that song should have been in that movie. And I love that, like, the movie opens, like, immediately, like, 90s. <laughs> it's 20 years ago town. It's, it's Haddonfield town. Um, but it's immediately, like, sock hats. 
Vans, puka shell necklaces, <laughs> Caesar haircuts, Pearl Jam like, on the Pearl soundtrack, Jam, yeah. like Creed on the soundtrack. The, the Creed that plays over the end credits, yeah, is insane. My own Josh Hartnett's wardrobe being like ten sizes too big. He's got like a five foot wallet chain. Uh, yeah, really takes you back. Really takes you back to the nineties. <laughs> and also, there's like, is that twenty years ago now? Did it happen uh, twenty years ago tonight? Well, it is because it's the fortieth anniversary. It was 20 years ago tonight. It's now H4O. Yeah, it's H4O. Yeah. Also, can we just say, like, H2O is not as clever as they think it is? <laughs> like, you know, someone someone so was, was like, Dewey was on Coke in, like, the marketing department and was like, guys, 20 years, H, Halloween, H, ah, H2O, H- yes. And they were like, he nailed it, like, give that man a raise. But it's <laughs> just not that clever. Yeah. I was like, unless someone, like, dies in a pool in this movie, I'm feeling like this is not. I was know. surprised that this movie did not take place in water in any way because I thought yeah. that right? it would be like a cruise yeah. ship with yeah. Michael Myers yeah. or something Well, like and that. then as I'm watching it, like, they're even going on this camping trip and I'm like, are they going to go to a lake? Like, is it literally going to yeah. become more of a Friday the mm-hmm. 13th kind of thing? No, um, what was the, where was the place they were going? They kept saying Yosemite. Yosemite. It was like a, yeah. it was an all-school yeah, trip to Yosemite. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, in short, the plot of this one is that Laurie Strode is now named Carrie Tate. She's changed her name, and she is the dean of a private school in a secluded part of, what is it, Northern California? Yeah, in a secluded mm-hmm. area in Northern California. Uh, and her son is named John, like John Carpenter, it's and he's played a, by Josh Hartnett. It's about a bus ride away from Yosemite. <laughs> yeah, as we all know. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this this movie has such a profoundly 90s cast, like Josh Hartnett, first of all, uh, LL Cool J, star of the unbeatable classic Deep Blue Sea. Mm -hmm. Oh, this was first, though. This was. This predates Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. And and then there's there's also Michelle Williams in one of her earliest roles. Baby Michelle Williams. Baby Michelle Williams with curly hair and drawn on chola eyebrows. (laughs) Like, what is life? (laughs) Those eyebrows were insane. They're pretty powerful. I imagine LL Cool J because he's like, I'm going to write this last book, and if it doesn't work, I'll go work for your father. And I wonder, does his father work on an undersea shark exploration? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I I thought that was funny because, like, I I feel like maybe that where LL Cool J's security guard character is, like, trying to moonlight as a writer and trying to, like, write his great book, I felt like that was a Kevin Williamson touch. Oh, yeah. That to me definitely felt like one. Uh, or any writer. I mean, honestly, <laughs> writers love writing about writers. That's fair enough. That's Someone totally wrote it. Fair. I also thought the music, like the score to Halloween H2O was so 90s because it's a lot of like sweeping orchestral, but then a lot of like boom, 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 boom. Like it was a really strange. And then like when the Halloween score like finally comes in, you're like, oh, okay, now it's a Halloween movie. Yeah, the score actually, it was originally by John Ottman and then they did not... The studio didn't like it, and they made uh, the Marco Beltrami, who had done the Scream score, they basically just used his scores from Scream and Mimic and just put it over this movie. And yeah, it's very... I don't know. It, it's its a little overwrought. Like, its, it's it wasn't written specifically for this movie. This, this movie does continue the Halloween tradition of terrible psychoanalysts also, because... Laura, Laurie Strode is dating the school counselor. Adam Arkin. Mm-hmm. Alan Arkin's son. <laughs> yep. 
who, when she finally makes her big reveal confession to him, he's he's like laughing along. He's like he's a giggle straight. monster. Yeah. Oh, and he also but has a monstrous giggle. He monster. has that moment when he like checks in on the girls, and they're like, and they're like, oh, we're just gonna go put some real hypnol and some boys' drinks and date rape them, and and he laughs, and he what does he make some comment back that is awful? Yeah, also. He, there's like a really like like a weirdly inappropriate moment with him and the high school girls where they're like, we're gonna go date rape some people and he's like haha don't ra- date rape him too hard and you're like wait what like, it's yeah. a really it's a wildly you inappropriate doctor, like, <laughs> like you're like you're the guidance counselor you cannot be this freewheeling with these young female students yeah i actually <laughs> kind of enjoy that because <laughs> i knew you would that's definitely I knew you would. Would. no 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 i i was watching it this because i actually think like his relationship with her is kind of interesting i do kind of like their relationship with laurie yeah Yeah, um because he's basically like trying to find out like why is this woman so kind of repressed and And an alcoholic yeah uh, definitely an alcoholic (laughs) right she orders a chardonnay now i need that drink yeah she needs some h2o because she's been fucking (laughs) slamming them down the drinks here she has like 10 Chardonnay glasses in this yeah. restaurant. She pours a vodka that is so <laughs> just a solid, like to the brim glass of vodka that is like would kill a horse. And like it's an insane like, amount of vodka. And she's like, I'll just have some scope and no one will ever know. Yeah, yeah. No, but I love it because we're expected to believe that, oh, she should open up to him. And if she just tells him everything, and that's kind of what his character mm-hmm. is doing. He's like, you know, I'm a great listener. And then she tells him, and he's like, his actual line when she she says, my brother killed my sister is, well, that's sucky. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what a fucking douchebag. But I love it because it goes along with the theme yeah. of like kind of men being shitty. And it's yeah. like, yeah. she shouldn't trust this guy. Like, he's a dick. <laughs> okay. I changed my name when I went into hiding. Well, I like that. That's like, like, the, like the witness protection program. What if you like rat out the mob or something my brother killed my sister when she was 17 well that's sucky (laughs) how'd he do that with a really big sharp kitchen knife that's terrible take off your clothes you said you'd listen But I will say, if you're going to, like, drop the bomb of your tortured past, don't do it when you're both drunk, like, making out on the couch. Yeah, like, 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 his is, like, literally like, on, her, on her Yeah, like, he's literally rounding second base, and she's like, I gotta tell you this crazy story about <laughs> my background. And it's like, that's not, like, you need, this is a sober conversation. Like, you, <laughs> right? like, you need to, like, sit down and be like, we need to have a talk. Like, just that she's kind of letting it fly while they're making out yeah. is, like, an inappropriate, Yeah, it's like, like this movie is, like, a drinking game plus truth or dare that only Laurie Strode is playing. I don't agree <laughs> that they should be sober. I would be so wasted for this, but I would not be doing sexy time at the yeah. same time. I would yeah. be sitting, you know, calmly and, you know. This is not, you would wait that, until this after is not pillow when you're talk. wearing yeah. a sheet yeah. and glasses on your head. <laughs> and just let her talk. There you go, yeah. But I do, one thing I've always really liked about this movie, because I was a big fan of this movie a big enough fan of it as, because it came out at that time with all these other movies that I really liked. And I thought, like, in comparison to some of those movies, this is a pretty good one. Uh, Urban Legend or, you oh. know, there, there, was, there was some pale imitations of Scream that came out. And this one 
is, I guess, somewhere in the middle, but... I I will put it this way. Basically, once the third act rolls around, once this becomes just a movie about Laurie Strode and Michael Myers, then I am way fucking into it. That's, that's the best part of it. The and yeah. basically the moment uh, uh-huh. yes, Laurie yes, Strode yes, yes, yes. had an axe, axe. Yeah. grabs an axe. Yes, <laughs> and the Screams. moment that she, well, and the moment that she had like set it down, I was like. Oh, I would be really, really yeah. happy if she went back for this axe. Mm-hmm. And she did! Yay! And then she shoots the fuck out of Michael Myers, and everyone else is convinced that Michael Myers is dead. She steals Michael Myers' body, steals the, the coroner's, coroner's van, van. <laughs> grabs the axe, and drives off into the fucking woods. Yeah. And I basically stood up and cheered at that point, uh. and was like, you know what? Wherever else you want to take me with this movie, movie, I am ready to ride along with you and then she drove (laughs) off a fucking cliff (laughs) (laughs) and launches the van to pin Michael Myers to a tree it's a great plan it's this movie becomes like a fast and furious installment and I am entirely here for it she bails as it's going down and then she chops off his head I did did want to I did want to applaud when she chops off his head because I was like oh yes this bitch learned something. Oh, don't yes. pre- like. Don't believe that he's dead. Like when she chops off his head, I was like, finally. Yes. Someone- she did applaud when she picked up the axe the yeah. first time, and you were, and you were like, yes. I was oh, excited yeah. when she picked up the axe. I was excited when she <laughs> broke the gate to mm-hmm. the private school, where she was like, oh, where she was like, no one's leaving. Like, yeah. Well, she does the same thing as the first movie, where she's like, you go and get the cop. Like, go to the nearest place and get the cops, and I'll take care of this. Yeah, her line, do as I say. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly, Like, literally repeated. Uh, She actually says, go down to the street to the Becker's house. That's the last name of Casey Becker in Scream, which Uh is a reference, because in Scream, she said, go down to the Mackenzie's house, which I think is one of the neighbors in the Halloween. Yeah, that's who she says the kids They also say that in Scream. I will say, this movie has... 20 years of horror movie tropes to play with. So, like, when you watch the first Halloween, they're really doing all this for the first time. Mm -hmm. But in H2O, like, from the jump, they're playing with tropes scream style. Like, the first jump scare is Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the hockey Uh, mask pretending to be Jason. Yeah. You know, and then there's like those little kind of hints throughout the movie. I felt like they couldn't decide. It was neither here nor there. It was not a, it was not a scream style meta movie, but it was also not a satisfying horror straight up horror movie is neither fish nor fowl yeah it definitely straddles that line there's a scene that i really like where they are watching scream 2 this the scene where yeah the counselor comes in and uh, of course they pick the sarah michelle geller scene which is my favorite but um (laughs) of course it is yeah um, and then they have Janet Lee in this movie, who plays. Uh, oh, did they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very subtle. So the you play, the play is what, was Janet Lee in another movie that I should know about? Because <laughs> this movie does not make it clear. <laughs> yeah, this the is the fog. Yes, yes, the fog. Yes. Oh my god, so many fog references. 
Yeah, she is literally driving the same car. She the uh, has a music line. Plays. The violin sting is there. She has a line about the drains being clogged again in and the she, girls' bathroom. She says, if I can be maternal for a moment. Yes, yeah, she's <laughs> her daughter. We <laughs> hit that a little hard. Right, this guy okay. seems like a real psycho. Literally, <laughs> <laughs> the only thing she didn't do was, like, show up wrapped in a shower curtain. Like, I was just waiting for a scene where, like, she's taking a shower and she's like, huh? Like, they really hammer home the she was in psycho, wink, wink, wink. And then even one of the kids, like, his friend is mm-hmm. like... Thanks. His friend is like, oh man, this is like a Norman Bates situation. Oh, right. uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That one. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Yeah, the word psycho is said at some point. I would like to talk just for a minute about that friend, like Josh Hartnett's best friend, who is supposed to, who is a little man Tate, yeah. all grown up. Yeah, yeah that's, horny, that's, horny, that's, horny that's little man Tate. It it's horny little man yeah. Tate. So horny little, but like <laughs> yeah. the, the character of horny H-O-M-T. little man Tate does not match the way that actor looks. Like, if the guy from the opening of the movie, like, if Joseph Gordon-Levitt's, like, goofy jock bro, skater bro friend was the other popular guy who's hooking up with the hottest girl in school, I'd be like, this tracks. But the idea that, like, this nerd burger is banging the hottest chick in school and is, like, a horn dog and is popular and is cool, I just did not buy. I, I couldn't get I a handle buy it. on the size buy of it. that school. Because it seemed like the entire student body left on three mismatched short buses... When they went to Yosemite, yeah. yeah. But, but it also seems school, right? But, but as little of the campus overall as we see, it it looks like the size of Hogwarts. Yeah, it's just like, like yeah. it's not tiny. Circle, it's like a forest compound. Yeah, it's like a thing. cul-de-sac with three buildings and like so many underground passageways. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's more basement than <laughs> yeah, school. There's so much basement, like, and they're all over that. And there's like at least ten jump scares in that basement of uh, those dummies bumping into each other. Be like, whoa, uh, yeah. it's you. Yeah, that so that character, the uh, little man Tate, mm-hmm. was actually originally supposed to be the killer in the movie, and oh. then Michael Myers was going to be like an additional killer who mm-hmm. came and killed the fake killer. Very scream like. I'm glad they didn't do that, but um, I think that's where that character came from. It is interesting casting, and then like yeah, he's dating the mean girl from She's All That that we watched. Yeah, oh, uh, God, that's true. Mm-hmm. It's, I feel like this movie is actually like the rare movie that's like too short. It feels like it's missing like sort of a middle act or something because, I mean, there's a lot of buildup. I think that it's like kind of 50 minutes of buildup, yeah. um, which is like a Halloween thing, you know. That's kind mm. of how the first one is too. But people don't start dying until like the final third of well, the movie. Right. If you, well, there's three people that die right off the bat. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so you get yeah. that. You get that. And, and, then, then, and then he doesn't kill... But menacingly walks around the mother and daughter in the bathroom at the rest stop. Which so when you're saying there's mm-hmm. stuff missing, what I really wanted was the the opposite movie this time, which would be the Michael Myers road trip movie. <laughs> yeah, like because seriously, he was at that rest stop a while. Yeah, did he have to drop a deuce? <laughs> well, if I mean, who knows how many dogs he ate on the way over there? <laughs> <laughs> it depends. He packed some dog jerky for the road. Yeah, I would like to see that movie. He's on a road trip. Doesn't- DJ Qualls is there. <laughs> I don't want to see any of these movies. I'm perfectly <laughs> happy with the money like, <laughs> It's the mother and daughter who have the perfectly spooky truck that they're driving around, right? <laughs> right? That is a very <laughs> spooky truck for like a month. Like, that is doing? not a minivan. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the like horror truck. Yeah, those are like two killers that just happen to stop at the same restaurant. <laughs> yeah. like that, that little girl probably hums you as a distraction. Like that humming, what song is she doing? And then the mom creeps up and kills you. The farmer in the Dell. I feel like it was the farmer in the Dell. <laughs> oh boy! For me, the movie comes alive 
in that one shot that is all over the trailers and probably the cover of the movie where it's it's like that circular window mm-hmm. and Laurie's on one side and Michael's on the other side and they're like staring each other down real hard. Mm-hmm. And then from that point on, it's like, all right, now I'm yeah. watching. Can we talk about how fucked up his mask was in this one? Because <laughs> his mask was crazy and changed in the movie. Like he's wearing multiple different masks and they all look bad. Yeah, they're not quite as good. I th- I feel like they went to Party City for the masks in <laughs> they this changed, one. They changed their mind and they had different artists in the middle of the movie change the mask. And then I'm convinced with a little man Tate scene where he's reaching into the <laughs> garbage disposal to get this corkscrew. And then there's like a jump scare where you look up and see Michael standing behind him. I know we know from reading that there is CGI mask in this movie. I'm convinced that that shot's like the big one. Oh, they, really? Yeah, because it's tough to look at. Yeah, that's hilarious. I liked this movie when I was a teenager, and I think it's still probably the second best Halloween movie so far. I'm, there's not a lot of competition. Yeah, <laughs> is the thing. Now, yeah. Like, this movie does make good use out of the brother-sister trope, I think, and that's one of the reasons why I yes. appreciated I thought I appreciated that trope, actually, <laughs> until I watched the first movie again and was like, oh, actually, I don't know if I like this. But because I like that in this movie, I like that she's traumatized. I think they do a good job of characterizing her. And I think Jamie Lee Curtis, like, is great in this movie. I mean, she's so great in all of these movies. Like, that's the thing. A, a performance note I made specifically about this movie was like, it's really amazing to me how much she conveys through that character with just the way she's looking. Whether that's looking for Michael Myers, whether that's looking at her kid, because they have obviously kind of a lot of built-up drama between the two of them and the, like, conflict they've had about how crazy paranoid Laurie Strode always is. And... Like, even where I don't think the characterization is particularly very deep, I think Jamie Lee Curtis's performance as Laurie Strode just always knocks it out of the park. She's such a charismatic actor. And she's... Like, truly. And so entertaining to watch. You kind of, like, she's great in everything that she does. And for me, she really elevates these movies in a way that, like, for me, other slasher movies or horror movies, like, you know, it's just some kind of like fly-by-night actress and there's Mm -hmm. kind of no character investment she like she's if it wasn't her in the original halloween i feel like it would wouldn't have been half as good like her performance is so grounded and that's kind of why you know she's in the new halloween that's coming out and that's kind of like the only reason that i'd be interested in seeing it i mean i'm probably not gonna see it anyway but seeing her in the trailer i was like ooh, this looks good oh yeah i'm i'm interested in seeing that one so at first so that movie uh, John Carpenter has come back as a producer. producer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's kind of involved in this one in a way that he hasn't been with a lot of these other movies. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is back. And they are basically retconning it again to say that only the first movie happened. So oh, there's, interesting. There's no brother-sister yeah. thing. In fact, there's a oh, joke wow. in the movie where someone says, oh, I heard it was her brother. And they're like, oh, that's just, you know, an urban legend or something. And interesting. Carpenter has said in interviews, he said, this is my favorite Halloween movie since the first one. Wow. I'm excited. I'm definitely going to see it. I have gone spoiler-free. Yeah. So far. So I hope to remain there. Yeah, I don't know anything about it besides that. And I think they are getting back to, like, the roots of Michael just kind of being the shape and being kind of just, like, this incarnate evil that doesn't have, like, a wild backstory as his motivation of, you know, like, sisters and parents and all this. Which I think could be really exciting because I... 
I think that a lot of the imitators of these movies, they get really mired in like trying to like come up with motivations for the killers. They really, I feel like, took a lot of the wrong lessons from Halloween and like made it all about the gore. And I think they took the lesson of making it about teenagers partying. I think that subsequent filmmakers like made it about like, let's punish all of these kids for acting out when I think what it was really originally about is just like kids being kids and kids being vulnerable and that they're just, you know, like kind of distracted by partying and, and not paying attention to what's going on. And the kids are actually vulnerable in this first movie in a way that I don't think they come off in movies like Friday the 13th. Yeah. And just to like put the final underline on that point about like how this really isn't about sex shaming, like it's more about how coming to a maturity as a person and transitioning from being a young girl into a woman is what makes you more vulnerable because it's what opens you up to the predatory male gaze as kind of surface level as a lot of the horror in this is like that's a really deep and yeah kind of intellectual approach to styling a horror movie after this one was halloween resurrection which also brought back jamie lee curtis and killed her off in the beginning of the movie no which i would have walked out at that point yeah, yeah. i was i would ask my money back pissed. is that like her deal with the movie like i'll do it if you get rid of it so I don't <laughs> there's some interesting stories but yeah minutes. she did not want to do it so basically they retconned again and so the end of halloween h2o with her chopping off his head, becomes that he switched that person, and that person was a paramedic, uh, and that she accidentally killed a paramedic, uh, and then she's crazy in, in an asylum, and then he comes after her and kills her. But that her. doesn't make any sense. No, it's it doesn't. Yeah. It's dumb. Okay. <laughs> like, it's a paramedic, like, yeah, The movie had Buster why, Rhymes why and Tyra like, like, hey, like yeah. that's, that's what level um, we're at. And then we yeah, have I to see. mention, I, I think, see. Rob Zombie made a couple of these in 2007 and 2009. Didn't see those, but I think... Yeah, I haven't seen him either. The odds are good that this is going to be the best Halloween movie since the first one. It looks good. Yeah, and I, I trust David Gordon Green. Um, I've really liked him as a director. And he also, like, it's, like, co-written with Danny McBride, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, we've seen a bunch of good comedians doing great horror recently. Exactly, with exactly. Get Out and Quiet Place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very exciting. Comedy and horror go well together. There's a setup a long wait for a punchline. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us. If you have anything you want to share or plug or ways that listeners can connect to you, feel free to share them. Uh, yeah, my Twitter is at Chelsea Procrast, and I have a web series coming out. It's called Thank You Come Again, and you can find that on all social media platforms at TYCA Show. Is it on Tinder? Do you have a Tinder profile? <laughs> it is, and you can swipe right on it. <laughs> I will. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Dan Litzinger Fine Art. And you can see my work right now at Sugar Mint Gallery in Pasadena. Pasadena, most of the first Halloween was shot in Pasadena. So this gallery is actually directly next door to the original Myers house from the beginning of the movie. And they do a big Welcome to Haddonfield art exhibit every year. This is the fourth one. And I have a piece there. And they have some movie screenings. They'll be showing Halloween during the run of this. So from now until Halloween, that's going on. And they also have a print from me right now that is, I did an illustration of Michael Myers for uh, the upcoming Fangoria number one. Fangoria is coming back to print starting wow. in October, and they asked me to do a Michael Myers thing, so I did that. And I did a limited edition one-of-one print that's at Sugarman Gallery right now. 
Uh, also tonight and for the next few weeks, you could see Corey Helford Gallery is doing a 200th anniversary of Frankenstein show, and I it's a big group show, 100 artists on one of them. Awesome. Yeah, stuff like that. Uh, and yeah, definitely go check out Dan's art. He does really amazing portraits uh, with all pop culture references. Many have quotes. Yeah, do prints and t-shirts at danlitzingerfineart.com. And you can see me at Son of Monster Palooza in a couple of weeks here. He's just out and about. Yeah. He's just out and about. Uh, and to wrap it all up, I really do recommend you watch the original Halloween. Uh, if you haven't seen it before, it's a really fucking great horror movie. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It definitely agree. stands yeah, out. Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah. It's a good movie. I'd say watch one and two. I think you can... Stop. I say watch Halloween <laughs> 2 as well, but... <laughs> no one says watch Halloween 3 season of The Witch. <laughs> and that's all the warlocks we have time for on the When We Were Young podcast. On our next episode... The corporate overlords are taking over as we revisit the very dystopic 1980s. Uh, specifically through the film uh, Brazil by Terry Gilliam and They Live, made by uh, oh John Carpenter. Hey. Hmm. Oh, I'm not familiar. We're keeping with that carpentry theme. <laughs> <laughs> the When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed listening to us, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review of five stars or more. I have been Seth Pearson. I'm still Dan Litzinger. I'm Chelsea Steiner. And I am the podcast host formerly known as The Shape. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. We did it. We did it. We Halloweened.